Hey, uh, Anthony, is it good? Are you live on your channel? right into it now these are the gifts that christ gave the, uh, to the church the apostles the prophets the evangelists and the pastors and teachers their responsibility is to, to is to equip god's people to do his work and to build up the church the body of christ this will continue until we come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of god's son that we will be mature in the lord measuring up to the full and complete standard of christ then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, grow it uh, every way more uh, like Christ, who is the head, the body of his church. All right, so last week we talked about uh, giving an account for, uh, we talked about giving an account for our faith, right? This time I'm going to be sharing a testimony on, that's going to highlight the importance of knowing God and knowing your word so that you won't be tricked by clever lies that sound like the truth. It's time for the cross. Let's go. All right, what's going on, Saints? What's going on, Anthony? How you doing, brother? I'm doing all right, man. What's going on, man? <laughs> oh, nothing much, man. I'm going. I'm coming down to the last wire, trying to figure out all this technical stuff. Ecam went and updated the system, so this is my first time going live with the update, and I just realized some things wasn't the way that I need them to be. Um, my uh, view hey. counter not on. I'm, I'm freezing on other things and. It's been a lot, man. Journey is going live, huh? <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> Eastside Apologetics, what's going on, brother? Thank you for checking in. See, look, all oh, this is new. I, my thing never come in this big. I don't wow. know what's going on, but <laughs> let's fix it. We'll fix it live. All right. Thank you for checking in, brother. Hey, if y'all on, for whatever reason, I can't see who's on. So if you're on, say what's up. Say what's happening. Let us know in the comments. It's my understanding we're also going live on your channel as well. So just like last time, if somebody got a comment they want to talk about that, that, that we can't pull up, just pause me, let uh, let me know, and then we'll we'll talk about it. Nice. All right. All right. So, um, so yeah, like I said last week, I um, – we were talking about defending the faith, right? The importance of that. And I promise you, like the very next day, I'm at Walmart and I get approached by these women who want to talk to me about God the Mother, man. And so I was kind of like thrown off guard, put on the spot, and to, you know, basically I had to practice what I preach, you know. And so we're gonna get into that tonight. We're gonna get into a whole bunch of more stuff tonight. Uh, 
But before we do that, just like always, we'll hop into uh, a couple of Christian headlines, and then we'll talk. Uh, we'll do our devotional, and then we'll get into it. Um, again, I'm hoping we're live and everything is good because I I really can't tell. But on my end, normally I can kind of see all this stuff. All right, cool. Yeah. So with that, um, again, uh, Anthony, is there anybody on on your channel that you want to say shout out to? Say what's up? Or are we ready to just hop right into it? We can hop right into it. Nobody's on just yet. Looks like people are going to pop on in a second. So, yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. So let let's go ahead and do it. Uh, we'll just get right into our digital pews Christian news. All right, so uh, up first, the first story we're going to talk about is an entire North Carolina police department resigned after a black woman town manager was hired, all right? And so first and foremost, this headline I think is a little deceptive because when you read the context of what actually happened, I don't really know that if it was more so she was um, – that, that it was because she was black or more so she just put them in a hostile work environment. Uh, did, did you have time to read uh, the story? Yeah, yeah, because I was trying to figure that out too. Was it, you know, her her demeanor, or was it because she was black? And and, and you know, I hate the fact that that's the the, the, the headline. <laughs> you yeah. know, is that a <laughs> is that hiring a black town manager is is like what we we focused in on? And so, I mean, I wish I knew more uh, about the story. You know, is it because it's, of she's black, or is it because? She was, you know, a hardliner, and she came in not playing with people, you know, and yeah. you know, you know, putting the uh, the, the the smack down. Yeah, man. So let let's just kind of go through it. I went through and kind of highlighted a couple of things. Matter of fact, let me turn my fan on because I feel like I hear the wind. Oh, I'm good. I don't even hear it. Okay. Well, maybe maybe it's just me. Maybe I can just it's picking up in my mic and I can hear it. But anyhow. Yeah. So, yeah, so this, it's a small town or whatever, but the entire police force quit after she came in. And so, including the police chief. But they claim that it was because she put them in, like, a hostile work environment. And when you kind of read some of their comments, it does seem like she was kind of holding them accountable. But in the yeah. military, we see, th- we see this a lot, though. Like, you get a new boss, new boss come in, start changing everything, people don't like it or whatever. And um, But at the same time, some bosses can just be jerks when they do that, you know, um, not really understanding. But I think the police chief, he got written up a couple of times, said he she would uh, write him up for being late if he wasn't actually at his desk. Um, he was going out talking to businesses and she didn't like that or whatever. And, but then she was like, she came back and she felt like they just didn't want a black woman leading over them, right, and telling them what to do. And I actually worked with a guy who, not necessarily a black woman, but he didn't like women being in charge and being over him and he actually got uh we were in iraq um one of my flight chiefs in iraq and he actually been uh got put under investigation for it i don't know what ended up happening from that but yeah he he had a couple of complaints against him and so they came in interviewed all of us and that kind of stuff and it was a it was an ugly scene but but then of course they bring in this harvard business review basically saying that you know, a lot of times black women are more likely to have an angry personality, right? You know, that angry black woman stereotype that they typically have. But to me, um, I'll be honest, in this situation, after reading over, it seemed like she came in cracking the whip. They couldn't stand They couldn't take it, and so they quit. But 
as a person in the military, I question how these guys could quit when they took an oath, right? When they basically, like, they, they took an oath to protect and serve, and then all of them are just going to up and quit. So who's going to take care of, you know, their city and who's going to protect their city? What, what's your thoughts on them quitting like that? Yeah, I, I was, you know, I was struck by that, you know, because you wouldn't think that everybody would quit. You know, you would think that they would complain. You would think that they would, you know, try to, um, you know, protest or something to get her attention. But th- this is actually typical. When a new person comes in, you don't know what the higher ups sent them in to do, right? Because what if she was sent in with the mindset that this place needed to be cleaned up and some stuff needed to be straightened up? I mean, because if she's writing up the supervisor for being late, that means that probably whoever was there before her was yeah. allowing that. And she was like, no, I'm not letting that go. And, you know, I, I just read this um, uh, this article because we were doing a class on double standards in our singles class. We were talking about double standards. And there was a CEO that complained that when women um, uh, speak up and are strict about rules, uh, mm. they're considered uh, being aggressive and being manly. But when a man holds and toes the line and, and holds people accountable, he's just being a great leader. And, and I think women can be put in, in a, a difficult light. And so it might be more of her being a woman uh, than her being black. And, and so I yeah. guess, you know, as far as the intersectionality crew, uh, she's got <laughs> a couple of intersections there where people could, you know, say, hey, what's going on? So I, I think I, I think it's more her being a woman and holding them accountable and them, you know, walking out on, on their posts like that, that just seems, you know, I don't know. That's what makes them think it's over the top and racist because that part, because yeah. if anybody else came in, you would just deal with it. Right. You would say, man, this is a hard nosed person. So I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what they're thinking. I can't get in their brain. Just looking at the article. Um, my thought is that she was just doing her job. And she was doing it uh, 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 pretty pretty severely on those that weren't following the rules. <laughs> yeah, no, nah, that's, that's actually a good point because I guess the person that was there before her was a black male. So it may be more right. to do with her being a female, you know. Uh, and But at the end of the day, you know, leaders have to realize we can't come in just um, guns blazing, making changes. We got to kind of look at what's going on. Let set our expectations, you know, let somebody know when they're not meeting those expectations, right? And then um from and then from there see whatever changes you need to make. But but nobody deserved to be in a hostile work environment. So so it is what it is. Maybe it's maybe it's some lessons to be learned on both sides of the fence. But speaking of women and power, we're gonna go to our next um our next topic, right? So the Southern Baptist theologians release a statement clarifying what the word pastor means and from my understanding of reading this the reason why they did this is because uh pastor rick warren just recently uh uh, ordained or uh uh, allowed a female pastor and so they come in and um they describe what what it means to be a pastor basically one who fulfills the pastoral office and carries out pastor functions and then they compared it to deacons right basically saying that a deacon is a role that both men and women can take According to, according to their understanding of scripture, but the office of pastor is limited to men only. And basically, pastor meaning someone who preaches or teaches. Um, and then Rick Warren basically came in and was like, look, 
when are we going to stop fighting and arguing over these uh, non-essential, non-essential uh, Christian decisions? I'll say it that way, right? And um, my thing is, I would agree that it's a, a non-essential uh, Christian decision or whatever, but at the same time, if it's going to hinder somebody's um, ability to to uh, worship or learn from this person or hear from God, and then I think it, it eventually becomes essential. And if you look at the scripture, First uh, Timothy, that that I'm assuming they they're using as their basis for a woman not to be a pastor, then one can argue that if she is a pastor, she may be deceived or just simply out of order from what God had and therefore making it an essential matter. So so what what are your thoughts on, on this whole thing of them having to define it and Rick Warren saying, hey, we need to get over it, basically? Well, I, I think that that's where the trouble comes in because, you know, a pastor is more than a preacher and teacher, right? And so when we narrow down pastoring to just preaching and teaching, it sounds like um, they're trying to make a point and they're targeting, you know, um, whatever Rick Warren has done as far as allowing a woman uh, uh, to be a pastor. You know, I, I my my position on this and uh, I was questioned about this when we were going through pastoral training that, you know, would you uh, would you allow um, a woman to to teach a Bible study to, you know, help you lead? Uh, if there were no men available or, you know, if she was gifted, you know, and my answer was yes. You know, um, my only issue, you know, and I struggle with this and people have heard me talk about this, is that a woman as the overseeing pastor, the senior pastor or apostle over the church, um, that that's not in scripture. Um, but women held um, positions of authority in the church. Uh, Paul had various women that worked with him and he actually asked the people of the church to support and so and help them to accomplish whatever mission uh, that they were given, but they were under submission. And so I think the, the issue is here is that they're trying to define this in a narrow sense instead of understanding that what we mean by pastor is we mean shepherd the flock, you know, um, oversee the church. And the Bible seems to be pretty clear that it's a man, uh, it's man's position to oversee the church and women can be in leadership under the headship of a man because, you know, the man is submitted to Christ and uh, the woman is submitted to the man and Christ submitted to God. We know that whole order. And so uh, usually it's the senior pastorship that, you know, comes under question when I talk about this. And so they're narrowing this to preaching and teaching. I don't know about that because mm. that's the issue is that a pastor is the overseer. He's an overseer uh, of the flock, not just one who preaches and teaches. Oh, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good point because, I mean, there's an argument that women do preach and teach to children and other women. You know, uh, again, right. going to First Timothy, it, it really talks about how, like Paul was saying, he doesn't allow the woman to have authority over a man. So getting back to what you're saying about that head pastor, we could definitely see that. But then the question will be if she's teaching from the pulpit or whatever, if you will, is that giving her some type of authority or, or whatever over a man. And and right. I'll be honest, for me, I kind of um, struggle with this one a little bit because, you know, reading scripture, it does seem to appear that pastor is a role set solely for a, a man. 
But then you have some other examples in scripture where uh, there are women leaders and obviously women who've had, uh, prophesied to men and taught men and, and, done, and done those things. So it's, it's, definitely, it's definitely one where I, I still don't really know fully where I, where I landed on it. Uh, but if I'm being completely honest, I don't know that I would be comfortable or, or I, I, I don't know that I would be able to listen to a woman pastor at this point in my life until I, until I get some clarity. Not necessarily a woman just teaching, but I'm talking about like in the, in the example that you gave where she, she's leading the church. Like she is no right. kidding, the head pastor. Um, what about marriage? Like, so that the, the, the pastor is a man, but then his wife is like a, it's like a co-pastor or the assistant pastor or a second pastor. There's a church in California uh, that I, I actually wanted to visit when I was living out there, and, and it's a husband and wife. They're basically co-pastoring. Um, I never got a chance to go visit the church, but, but what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, again, again, she's not out there by herself, and biblical you know, um, example is uh, Aquila and Priscilla. Right. The Bible says that they had a they had a church in their house. Right. And so uh, and then you think about when Apollos and I think me and you talked about this some weeks back. We came across the scripture in Acts. um, I think it's Acts uh, 18, where they were the ones that schooled Apollos. And it was the, the scripture was precise. It said Aquila and Priscilla taught him the correct way. It didn't just say Aquila. It said both of them corrected him and, you know, helped him to see what he was missing in his doctrine. And so they were a dynamic team, you know, that pastored a church in their house, that they even counseled uh, the dynamic Apollos, who was obviously a dude on fire for God. And he allowed them to speak into his life and help him to get on the right track. And so I feel like when that woman's in submission to her husband and they are working together as a team. Um, and so I, when people say co-pastor, I don't, you know, that wording, I don't know about that wording, you know, but uh, a husband and wife team in ministry, uh, we see that in scripture with Aquila and Priscilla. Yeah. I, and that's a, another valid point you bring up. I think we do get too tied into <laughs> titles, right. And, and to yeah. titles and, positions and and what those positions mean and if we're being frank a lot of these positions and titles we have the bible has very limited definitions of exactly what what that what that particular title role is right um and so i personally try not to get hung up on it either because at the end of the day i believe jesus told all of us to go out and be disciples and make more disciples. And no matter how you try to slice the pie, if you're going to be discipling somebody, truly discipling them, you're going to have to be teaching them. You're going to have to be living by example for them to follow. And so that's men and women that can do it, right? Uh, real quick before we keep going on, I want to say what's, what's going on, Carrie. Thank you for checking in. Tim, thank you for checking in as well. We truly appreciate y'all. Um, but, yeah, um, another point that this brings up, though, and it's a good transition to our devotional, is a lot of people, especially women, feel like the Bible is written from a male chauvinistic viewpoint, right? And then these kind of topics can make some women feel not feel like the that men don't think that they're as equal as women when it comes to the kingdom of God and, and preaching and teaching and that kind of stuff. And um, 
I think this is just another slick way for the devil to uh, cause division, you know, amongst the body of Christ. Because at the end of the day, and I, and I use this example all the time, me being in the military, my commander outranks me. My commander has more responsibility than me. My commander has different roles than me. But as a human and as a person, that doesn't make him more important or more valuable than me. Matter of fact, a, a good boss and a good commander lets the people know under them that their role is just as important, or, you know, in the mission or whatever. And so just because God may have different roles for a man and a woman does not make a woman less equal or value, valuable, right? But... There are some people who will try to argue. Here's another example of how it's being uh, male chauvinistic. And I would say to them, again, just like I said earlier, kicking us off, you got to know God. You got to know his character. You got to know who he is. And you got to know your word as well. And I think this devotional is going to be a good example of it. So before I transition to that, do you want to add anything to the whole male chauvinistic thing? Or do you want to? Yeah, yeah, yeah I'll just say something real quick. And I'll say shout out to Amber. Um, uh, that just jumped online um, and there's somebody else on there. They haven't posted yet, but I, um, you know, I just had this discussion. Um, I was part of an ordination panel um, and we had the discussion about, you know, titles. And so here's the thing about titles. We call them titles. When you read your Bible, these uh, positions are assignments and so the, the scripture you read at the very top, and he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints, uh, for the edifying the body, uh, till we all come into the unity of the faith, to the one, you know, man, the, the stature of Christ, all those things. They have each person, each one of those is an assignment. It's not a title. You know, a title is something that you put on a, 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 a pen and say, I have a title. And, and I think about the military, as you, you know, explained it, those are their assignments. That's the, it designates when, when you hear Colonel, Colonel or major, that says that they have a certain and a specific job to do. And if we start looking at things more along those lines, we will see that we're, we're not going, we're not going after titles. We're understanding the assignments. And so husband is an assignment. Wife is an assignment. There's a job description that comes along with being father and mother, right? And so if I understand what it means to be a father and then I do that, I'm, I'm not clout chasing. I'm not trying to, you know, because there's heavy responsibility with these assignments. And are we willing to deal with the pressure that comes with being these things? And so uh, in, in the Bible, you know, when we, when we hear uh, husband, wife, we hear calling by God to fulfill these roles and they both have an assignment and without each other, the plan of God is not fulfilled. And so we've got to see it that way. Man, I'm not going to lie. That was very well put. I can't find my DJ button right now. Or I would. Matter of fact, I found it. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely got to hit you with the DJ horn on that one, and because I, I've actually never heard it put that way, but you're but you're right though. When you have, um, when you're commander or when you're division chief or when you're husband, that is an assignment. It, it, that is a way to describe the assignment. So that's that's actually very well put. And I think if we thought about it in that manner more often, then people would um, 
not be so offended. So, no, that's 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 actually very well put. Hey, what's going on, Grandma? Uh, Gwen, thank y'all for checking in. Granddad, uh, Sean, thank you for checking in as well. We're about to get ready to hop into our devotional. If you're just checking in with us, um, this week's question, we're going to be talking about uh, this uh, religion, um, some would say cult, called... Um, what is it, World Mission Society, Church of God, but they believe in God the Mother. So we're going to be talking about is there a biblical case for there being a God the Mother or a Mother God. Um, and then right now we just got finished with our digital pews and we're about to uh, transition to our devotional. And we were talking about is the Bible written in a male chauvinistic manner. And, um, of course, as Christians, we don't believe that it is. We believe that God just have different assignments and different roles for us. Um, but... This devotion that we're going to hop into is a great example of why it's important of knowing God, understanding his character, but also knowing your word. So let's go ahead and hop right into it. All right, so this one right here is going to be a whole lot of words, so let me just go ahead and hop right into it. Leviticus chapter 27, verse 1 through 6 says the following. The Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. If anyone makes a special vow to dedicate someone to the Lord by paying the value of that person, here's the scale of values to be used. A man between the ages of 20 and 60 is valued at 50 shekels of silver, as measured by the sanctuary shekel. A woman of that age is valued at 30 shekels of silver. A boy between the ages of 5 and 20 is valued at 20 shekels of silver. A girl of that age is valued at 10 shekels of silver. Now, you may be asking yourself, why a devotional on Leviticus 27? It's the Old Testament. It's to the Israelites. It don't pertain to us. And what's up with God assigning value to people? And why is it that the woman is worth less shekels than the man? <laughs> I get it. If you don't know God, right, if you don't understand his character, you may be offended. You may not agree with God assigning worth to a person, and especially the woman being worth less. You may even question, like, why, God? Why would this happen? But this devotional will teach us two important lessons. One, the importance of knowing God. And two, the importance of knowing your Bible. Because if you're anything like me, there are some books in the Bible that are hard to get through. There are some that are hard to understand. And there are some that are hard to see why God would do certain things or allow certain things. And Leviticus is one of those books. But do me a favor. Turn to Judges chapter 10. No, excuse me, Judges chapter 11. And this is going to help us see why it's important to know God, know your Bible. And it just may save you a whole lot of heartache. Hey, 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 hold on, hold on. Gather around, everybody. Listen up. I got a story to tell, 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 tell. All right, so like I said, this devotion is going to have a whole lot of reading, but it's extremely important that you know God and his word. So I encourage you to stick with me and pay close attention. All right, so turn to Judges chapter 11. We'll start at verse 29. We're going to go all the way to the end of the chapter. But first, I got to catch you up to the story at this point. The first thing you need to know is that the book of Judges overall speak of all these rulers of Israel, right? And at that time, these people was doing what was right in their own eyes, according to Judges 17, verse 6. This is going to be an important uh, point in the story. People at that time was doing what was right in their own eyes, and that includes our main character, Jephthah. Second, Jephthah was a mighty warrior, right, who later became a leader or a judge of Israel. His father was Gilead, and his mother was a prostitute. Now, his brothers didn't like this. Matter of fact, they drove him away, stating, saying, you will not get any inheritance because you got a different mom, which sounds like a lot of people, when it's time to receive inheritance from their family, they always seem to bicker and fight on who gets what. But anyhow, the crazy thing is, is that when the tribe of Gilead was in trouble, when enemies were coming at him, um, they needed old Jephthah. And so the elders reached out to him, asked him to return, promised that he'll be a leader if he agreed to fight. He agreed to do it. And then according to Judges chapter 3, verse 5, right, another thing we got to remember is that during this time, and it's, I meant to say Judges 3, 56, Judges 3, 56, during this time, the Israelites were intermarried with Canaanites, right? 
many theologians believe that Jephthah's wife was a Canaanite. Um, although this doesn't come out in the Bible, but because he was sent away, um, they believe he married a Canaanite, right? Um, however, um, the Moabites, their uh, god was uh, Chemosh, and the Canaanite god was Molech. Both pagan gods are, po- are both uh, gods that the Gentiles worship. Both of them believe in child sacrifice. This is another important point. And the final thing is this, kind of tying this all together. Jephthah, he was raised by a Jewish father, so he knew God. In fact, when he was confronted by his enemies that tried to declare that the land the Israelites have now is rightfully theirs, Jephthah gave them a biblical Bible lesson, history lesson, right? Uh, But since he was driven away by his brothers, he linked up with what the Bible would call worthless rebels, which in my mind screamed out, non-Jewish people are uh, pagans or, or whatever the case may be, outcasts or whatever. But he could have picked up some of the ways of the foreigners he lived around. And with that background, this brings us to our uh, Bible passages for today. So, Judges 11, starting at 29. At that time, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. So he had God with him. And he went through the land of Gilead and Manasseh, including Mizpah and Gilead. And from there, he led an army against the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. He said, if you give me victory over the Ammonites, I will give to the Lord whatever comes out of my house to meet me when I return and triumph. I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. So Jephthah led his army against the Ammonites, and the Lord gave him victory. He crushed the Ammonites, devastating about 20 towns from Ur to an area near Minium, and as far as Abel Karamium. I'm probably saying all those names wrong. But in this way, Israel defeated the Ammonites. When Jephthah returned home to Mizpah, his daughter came out to meet him, playing on the tambourine and dancing for joy. She was his one and only child. He had no other sons or daughters. When he saw her, he tore his clothes in anguish. Oh, my daughter, he cried, you have completely destroyed me. You've brought disaster on me, for I have made a vow to the Lord, and I cannot take it back. And she said, Father, if you have made a vow to the Lord, you must do to me what you have vowed. For the Lord has given you a great victory over your enemies, the Ammonites. But first, let me do this one thing. Let me go up and roam the hills and weep with my friends for two months, because I will die a virgin. You may go, chapter said. And he sent her away for two months. She and her friends went into the hills and wept because she would never have children. When she returned home, her father kept the vow he had made, and she died a virgin. So it become a custom in Israel for young Israelite women to go away for four days each year to lament the faith of Jephthah's daughter. Now, when I first read this, I struggled with it. I mean, why would God endorse child sacrifice? Would God endorse child sacrifice? Not the God I know. Matter of fact, a more popular Sunday school, uh, Sunday school story we all know is when God tell Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. God provided another sacrifice showing that he does not require uh, sacrifice like the false gods do. But God also give us a picture of what Christ would do. So we know this is not in God's character. And Jephthah should have known this as well. He grew up with a Jewish father. But this has caused a lot of debates because a lot of people can't really grasp it and understand how God would allow this, right? So some believe because Jephthah's half-pagan heritage, along with the lawlessness of that time, people did what was right in their own eyes, um, they believe he actually offered her up as a literal burnt offering in a way of human sacrifice. Others believe he offered his daughter as a lifelong virgin in the service of the Lord at Israel's central sanctuary, right? Now, these people argue that she would not have been handed over as a literal burnt offering and that Jephthah had been called by God to be a leader of his people and a judge over Israel. But if you read the book of Judges, you'll see a lot of them guys was called by God, and they did a lot of immoral things, a lot of things that God did not um, allow. But they argued that human sacrifice was forbidden, and God wouldn't allow it, the people around him wouldn't allow it, um, and so they believed he offered her up as a lifelong virgin in service to God, right? But again, these people are doing what's right in their own eyes. You can reread the story for yourself, but to me, 
I really believe that he actually offered her up as a sacrifice for a couple reasons. One, not trying to make this quick. Chapter reaction when he saw his daughter was over the top. He tanned his clothes, he in anguish the whole nine. Now, and I get that the times were different because some people might try to say, well, he didn't have any other kids and he's uh, mad because his name won't go on or, or, or because if she become a virgin uh, in a service to God, then she won't have any kids or whatever. That's still a little bit over the top for, for somebody going to serve God, right? Um, not only that, um, she left and wept about being a virgin, about having to die a virgin. And it became a tradition that other Israelite women would go away for four days out of the year to lament over what happened to her. Again, why would they do this if she just went away to be servers of God, right? And not only that, it's an honor to serve God. Can you imagine someone crying, taking two months off to lament, and then it becoming a tradition of other people lamenting because you were called to serve God? What if the Levites did this? The Levites didn't get no land because God was their inheritance. It was an honor for God to be their inheritance. So I don't, to me, I think she was literally going to be sacrificed. Now, I don't think God endorsed it, though. But again, you can reread the passage, see how the Holy Spirit leads you. But um, I really do think that... Um, I really do think that she was sacrificed. Now, let's say for argument's sake that she that she was actually sacrificed. Matter of fact, we'll go with both. Whichever camp you fall on, she was sacrificed or she was uh, committed to a lifelong service uh, for the Lord and she would become a virgin, right? If Jephthah knew God and he knew his word, he would know, one, God don't endorse uh, human sacrifice. That's not that's, God is not like those other gods that the uh, pagans worship. But he would also know that God had already given them out in Leviticus 27. Remember the 10 shekels? Right. And so now we get we get a bigger context of what God is all about. See, God knew in advance that stuff like this would come up. God knew in that culture, people would sacrifice people like that. That's what these other guys offered up. And God already had a system in place that further proves that he does not want us to have human sacrifice, that he would sacrifice himself for our sins. That's the kind of God we serve. We don't serve a kind of God that tell us to kill our children to make him happy or to give us favor. And just because God gave us favor in one area um, and we make a silly vow, that doesn't mean he endorses that vow. We do it all the time. God, if you do this, I'll do that. But we can't give God anything. Nothing we have is worthy to God. And so all Jephthah had to do was pay the 10 shekels for his daughter and he wouldn't have had to sacrifice her as a burnt offering or he wouldn't have had to offer her up for a lifelong servitude. The 10 shekels would have got him out of the uh, vow. And his lineage could have carried on if that was the case. Now, the bottom line is this. The summary of Jephthah's daughter's life is speculative. His daughter either died because of an unnecessary, ungodlike vow that he made, or she died a virgin uh, because she served God the rest of her life. But neither outcome was nothing she did, but both was on Jephthah not knowing God, not knowing his word. People, sometimes we make promises to God that's not even in his will. You have to know God's character. And the only way to know that is to get in his word. Chapter story ends much like most other judges in that time. He was used by God in a mighty way, but then he missed the mark, continuing this downward spiral that the Israelites were on at that time. So do me a favor. Read your word. Get to know the real God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, that God. And be blessed. All right. Yeah, that was that was a whole lot, man. I, if you can tell, I sped it up a little bit to try to make not make it go so long. But when I was reading the word and I and I caught that connection, I had to do a devotional on it. And I, I think it was fitting for, for a lot of our topics today, too. And so so what so what are y'all thoughts? Uh, let us know in the comments. Anthony, Anthony, let me know your thoughts as well. Um, do you believe that that he actually offered her up as a, a burnt offering like he said he would? Actually, I, I, I do. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, I like how you connected, you know, the, the, 
the backstory or the context, you know, I, I think one thing I would add is that, you know, although I, I don't think that God authored um, this, this circumstance or the situation, I do believe that Jetha was keeping his word. The Bible says clearly, do not make a vow to God and not keep it. You know, don't let your uh, don't let your mouth cause your body to sin. And I think that's what happened here was Jethro made a foolish vow and ended up keeping that vow. Um, and by keeping that vow, uh, you had to follow through, because like you said, I don't think he would have been all broken up if it was just send her off service for the Lord. Yeah. This man tore his clothes. He and, and And here's the thing. He made a foolish vow in the sense that he didn't he didn't he didn't vow his daughter. He just vowed that whoever or whatever was the first thing to come through the door. Yep. He was going to offer it to the Lord. So it wasn't like he intended, you know, to make a human sacrifice. That wasn't his goal. His goal was to offer something to the to the Lord, whatever came through the door and the worst scenario possible happened because you he made a foolish vow you know there was a lot of other things he could have said and done you know my heart breaks i got a daughter i just i mean man (laughs) so the thing about it because you know i I went i did a lot of studying because i'm not gonna lie when i read it i was like man that's wow but um because you would think like People could argue that God would have stopped him, you know, or kind of like with Abraham, he could have provided a, a different sacrifice. But in this case, um, from my from my study and research, that that people, like when the king would come back or a judge would come back from war and that kind of stuff, that they would come out and celebrate him. And so some argue that he might have thought it was going to be. Um, one of his servants that will come out first or, or one of the other females that will right, come out first right. or, or something to that extent. But but either way, right, either way, I, I personally believe he thought it was going to be a person that was coming out because he said he's going to make a sacrifice. Because it wouldn't make no sense, like, oh, the first thing that come out of his house will be a goat or a ram. or Like, like obviously, the coming to greet the judge or the, uh, the and the war hero, it would have been a person, right? Um, but the beauty of it is is that Leviticus had already touched on these type of vows. Like, if you're going to offer a person up, then here's the value of that person, right? And so had had he had uh, some elders or he had some other people or whatever the case may be, he, this man could have easily, this man could have easily uh, invoked it, the law that was, that was given in Leviticus. Let's see. Esau apologetic say ancient Near East writers use strong language to make a point. So this may not have been literal. I I hear you. I I I I hear you, but here's here's the thing. And um Laura says, how is that not just murder? So so a couple we'll take the first one. Mm-hmm. He he said to God that if you give me victory, I'm gonna I'll, I'll, uh, the first thing to come out, I'm going to offer it as a burnt sacrifice. That was literal things that they did. They would literally offer up sin sacrifices and animal sacrifices and all, and all these. They actually did do sacrifices in that time. So that's one reason. Two, his reaction. Like, if it's not literal, why would he be so 
distraught about the vow that he made, right? Why would his daughter be so distraught about the vow he made that she had to go away for two months to lament? And why did it become a tradition that all the women after her, the Jewish culture, that they would mourn over her for like four days or something each year? None of that screams to me that it wasn't a literal account, right? Um, also, too, the Bible makes it very clear in the book of Judges that what these judges was doing at that time and what the people were doing at that time was not aligned with what God's will, that they were doing what was right in their own eyes. You know, they were just all messed up. And if you look at all of the judges' story, it, they all miss the mark and mess up. They're used by God. Look at Samson. He's used by God, then he let Delilah, you know, ruin him. You know, that that was just the, the repeated pattern. So to me, I think this guy who was, he let mixing two different religions make him make this foolish vow. And then how is that not just murder? Lord, in that time it was a different culture, a different time, and the, and the pagan worshipers, they would sacrifice they would do human sacrifices. Now, I would say in God's eyes, what he did was murder because God does not endorse human sacrifice, right? Uh, but at that time, in that culture, that's what they did. You, you want to add anything to that, Anthony? Yeah, yeah. Um, first, I want to give a shout out to Orang. Um, he said it seemed to imply that he was expecting a dog or something else to come out, that he wasn't expecting, um, you know, a person. You know, and, and like you said, I, I mean, I don't I don't know. I mean, we don't know what he was expecting to walk through that door, but we know it wasn't his daughter. And the other thing is, uh, I think, to support what you're saying is that just because the Bible records it doesn't mean the Bible um, is endorsing it. Yeah. And so often people take the false assumption that if the Bible recorded something, then it's saying that this is OK. Yeah. You know. Um, I think the point of the book of Judges is just what you said, to show um, how uh, these um, imperfect people, God was able to use them, but that didn't make them perfect. That didn't mean that all the decisions were correct and just and right. I mean, later on in Judges, it gets worse yeah. because there's a young woman uh, that gets raped. Like that. Yeah. And then all of a sudden the, the, the husband chops her up yeah. and sends our body parts to the 12 tribes of Israel. Is the Bible endorsing this or reporting this? And I think the Bible is reporting this because it's showing what Judges 20, uh, 21, 25 says, or 25, 21 says that at those times there were no kings in the land. So people did what was right in their own eyes. Yeah. And so because there was no leadership, there was no priest, there was no, no people to hold them accountable. People were doing stuff and they were misinterpreting the law. Like you said, there was no one there to instruct them. There was another, uh, another guy who built um, an altar to false gods and tried to combine them with uh, the worship of Yahweh. Yeah. And so the time of the judges was basically the wild, wild west and people were doing whatever came to their mind. They were mixing religious ideas with pagan ideas and out of it came some very horrible and bad decisions. You know, you talked about uh, Samson, who's another one. And you look at Samson and you're like, man, how can this man do such great things for God? But yet he's a womanizer. He's going from one woman to another woman, you know, and it's like, what's going on here? The book of Judges shows the the, the humanity you know, of, of these Israelite people, you know, and another thing, cause, and I just want to say this real quick. Um, some, you had mentioned how 
uh, someone said, that, you know, the Bible is written from a, a patriarchal, you know, um, standpoint. I heard this from somebody else that it, it was written from a white patriarchal, yeah. you know, perspective. Well, this is impossible because the Bible is written from a Hebrew, a Middle Eastern. This is an Eastern perspective. Yep. This is not uh, Western or American. And so as a lot of things in the Bible are foreign to us. And so just because, and I'm going to say this again, just because the Bible reports it doesn't mean uh, that the Bible is supporting it. Or endorsing it. Yeah. Now, all, all, all good facts. I couldn't have said it better myself. Um, and, and again, like we don't know what he meant to sacrifice. and um, But we do see that the Bible says that he went ahead and did it, right? What's going on, Mario? What's up, brother? Thanks for checking in. Um, but yeah, so... So he, he he did do it, and and if you read the context of multiple other scriptures, you know that God just did. He doesn't endorse that, you know. So just because God gave him victory in the battles didn't mean that he endorsed that foolish uh, thing he did. But the other reason why I wanted to bring this up was to talk about how you know if you read Leviticus on its own and you look at oh well, a man is worth this many shekels and a woman is only worth that many shekels, some people can take that and say well. Why, why would God give the man more value and more worth and all that? But when we start seeing other stories and stuff, we see how that, that could have easily saved this young girl's life had he known that, had he had somebody share that with him. And so that's kind of where, that's kind of, um, that, that, that's kind of why I want to share that just to really highlight the importance of just knowing your word, man. Like, let me, let me throw this God. out there, Rico. Uh, yeah, let ahead. me throw this out there too, as far as that, you know, let's let's look at it from a practical standpoint you know the value of each individual if you're living in a culture that is a culture based upon agricultural or you know your ability to work a strong a grown man is going to get you more work than a boy a woman or anybody else and so that makes him more valuable because of his ability to do work you know and i think that's what we should be looking at um, in that particular circumstance is uh, the ability to work. I mean, and, you know, and we don't want to go too deep into that, but that's, that's my thought when I look at that is that this man actually can probably work longer hours, um, can move more things than a boy or a woman at that time. So that's what made uh, his value more. It wasn't that the man was valued more because the man was thought to be better I think in their economy, this man could you can get more work out of him. That Abby, I'm so glad I got you on, man, because you bring up points that uh, <laughs> that I don't be thinking about because I'm trying to follow my script and my flow here. But <laughs> that's a very valid point that is still relevant for us today in this whole men make more money than women um, argument that we have right now, right? And when if you look at the statistics behind it and you look at the reality behind it, men typically make more money because they'll typically take on the jobs that women most likely don't want to take on or won't even get into, right? And like you said, I don't want to go down a deep rabbit hole here, but I was literally just in a meeting, (laughs) literally just in a meeting with my uh, leadership where we're talking about our recruiting numbers. And so we recruit for Space Force as well. And Space Force, they're having a hard time right now recruiting women. Because Space Force is heavily, they heavily need STEM related career fields, right? So the ratio is, is something ridiculous, like 
3% of the recruits are, are, are women or something. And we're trying to boot, they're trying to, we're trying to boost that up. But if you, if you go back and you look into the STEM related career fields, there's just not a lot of women choosing those career fields. There's not a lot of women, not a lot of women graduating from uh, colleges that want to be engineers and that want to be mathematicians and, and want to do work on aircraft and spacecraft and, and that kind of stuff. It's just not a lot of women. And then, so that makes them even more valuable. Because every other career field and every other company wants women who, who works in STEM. And so if you look at it, it may seem like there's a pay gap between men and women. But a man, you know, how often you see women garbage truck owners and, and some a lot of these dangerous jobs. And so that's an argument for another day. But it's, it's amazing <laughs> how the Bible many years ago have already touched on this. You bring up a valid point that a man, when it comes to doing physical labor service, you very well may get more out of that man than you would out of a woman. And you'll probably more often get men wanting to go do it than you right. would than you would women too. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. So <laughs> and, and I mean and you just can't like again, I literally just had this conversation at work where we're trying to figure out how can we get more women into the space force. And the reality of it is it's just like it's it's a small pool to pull from. So if I'm a smart educated woman, engineer degree, should I go to the Space Force? Should I go to NASA? Should I go to Google? Should I go to, like, right, all these right. STEM-related career fields looking for the same woman? So, naturally, in these companies, there's going to be more men doing those jobs. So, anyway, man, that's a very valid point. So, let's go ahead and let's go ahead and um, keep going, because we're almost at an hour, and we haven't got to our question. Hey, so you we're know gonna, how we do. <laughs> yeah, I already know. <laughs> so, so we, we, we're going to go ahead and get it, because... Um, I want to set the stage for, for our question of the week. Matter of fact, let me go ahead and do my little transition. <clears throat> All right. So today's question, let me pull it up real quick. Did I, did I do it? Yeah. Okay. So question. She asked me, can I speak to you about Mother God and show that Jesus already returned? All right, so I want to set the stage for this. You know, um, I'm gonna share my testimony on what happened to me. When I told, when I called Anthony and told him about it, he's like, "Oh, I'm definitely doing that show because I got, <laughs> I got experience with, you know, with this, with this religion as well or whatnot." And so, in order to kind of facilitate discussion, I'll, I'll share what happened to me so to give people context of why we're doing this, and then. Um, and then we're gonna talk about we're gonna we're gonna break this down into three sections if you don't mind, mind Anthony. We'll talk about what is the religion that believe in God the Mother, the World Mission Society, Church of God. We're gonna talk about what they are and what they believe. Uh, then we're gonna talk about the scriptures that they used on me and uh, any other scriptures that you know to try to prove their point because they are using the Bible. They're using the Bible as their justification, or at least they deal with me. And then we'll talk about, uh, I'll conclude with my lessons learned from that interaction and what takeaways I have from it and what I think, you know, you all should know as well. So that's kind of what we're going to do. Um, matter of fact, before I get into my testimony, what happened to me, Anthony, just share what's your experience like with, with the mother God? Like, did you do research on them? Have you had encounters with them? Yeah. What, what was yeah. your situation? Yeah, I, I've actually had quite a few run-ins with them, you know, um, where i mean they approached me on the street i've had run-ins with members they tried to like you know uh, kidnap them and, and baptize them real quick and i've had run-ins with them on on the campus you know uh, down at my son's campus uh they're running up on people and 
you know, and, and they throw at you all these things that, oh, I bet you didn't know this. And I bet you didn't know that, you know, come to, you know, this Bible study and we're going to show you what the Bible really says. And what happens is they're getting you there because they're trying to baptize you, you know, and that's how they get their numbers up. And that's how they 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 feel like they're doing, you know, whatever work it is that they're trying to do. Uh, one of the main issues, you know, that I've had with them is like when I counter on the street is, you know, and we'll get into this. So I don't want to get too far into it. But, you know, uh, they throw at you the Sabbath and how if you're a pastor and you're not teaching your congregation to observe the Passover and the Sabbath, then you are a false teacher and you're going to hell. Um, and they quote they quote at you, you know, where Jesus says, don't believe anyone who says that they've seen me. If they say they see me out in the desert, if they say they see me over here, don't believe them. And they're quoting, hey, I want to show you Jesus. I want to show you that he came back. And I would, t I would say, well, the scripture you're talking about says not to believe you. And they have a way around that, you know, where they try to get you to uh, see something that's not there. And when all else fails, you're a false teacher. You're going to hell because you're not observing the, the Sabbath, because the Sabbath is the only way to eternal life. Uh, through them. And so they don't believe in uh, the, the Bible and the gospel, you know, the gospel that Jesus preached, the gospel that the apostles preached, um, the gospel that was preached throughout the book of Acts. They don't believe in that. They believe that the only way to salvation is through the Sabbath. And so that's just a, a little bit, you know, because I know, um, you know, for sake of time, we're going to get into a lot of this stuff deeper. Yeah, no. I, yeah, that was that's a good introduction, because a lot of the stuff you were saying, was exactly kind of what I what I went through. So so but basically Sunday night we did our show um, and we were talking about how you got to give an account for your faith in the whole nine. And the next day, you know, Satan put me to the test or maybe God put me to the test. I don't know. But we get out there and um, we're, we're, we are go to Walmart. My wife is like, hey, you want to go with me to Walmart? I got to pick up some stuff or whatever. And so I was like, yeah, I go with you. So we're in the aisle, and then these two sweet ladies just came up on us. And, I mean, extra nice, extra respectful. And they was like, hey, can we share a couple scriptures with you or, whatever, or whatnot? And I'm like, yeah, of course, you know. Um, and it was like, yeah, we want to uh, talk to you about God the Mother, our Mother God. And I'm like, wait, excuse me, wait, what, who? You want to talk to me about who? God, you know, or whatever. And so she was like, yeah, uh, God the mother. So I'm like, okay, so this is going to be good, right? So anyway, they get to uh, showing me a couple scriptures. And now, mind you, I'm in here dressing like a T-shirt, some sweatpants, whatever. So I'm probably looking like somebody who don't really know the word or whatever, you know. Uh, and they were kind of shocked when I started, you know, kind of poking holes in what they believe and asking them questions. And the, the scriptures that they were showing me, they were kind of out of context. And one woman was kind of doing all the talking, and the other woman was kind of, like, back watching. So I don't know if she was, like, in training or if she was, like, supervising the other lady or whatnot. But, um, but like you said, one of the biggest things they kept trying to do was trying to get us to come to this Bible study, right? And so they're showing us all these verses out of context, and I'm not going to lie. Some of the verses they show kind of put me on pause a little bit because one of the things they attacked was like, like the church is not the bride, but instead Mother God is the bride or whatever. And so they showed me a couple of scriptures and I'm like, it made me kind of pause there a little bit. And so long story short, without getting into the scriptures, because I kind of want to say that for, you know, after we kind of talk about who this church is and what they believe. Right. But a long story short, they were just like, listen. 
we can't teach you for one because we're women. So they pull that card. And it's like, mm -hmm. we need you to come to these Bible studies so we can show you the prophecies. We can show you prophecies. Now, all up to this point, they didn't tell me that Jesus already returned. But when they <laughs> felt like they didn't have me, they was basically like, they, they basically ended on, the only way I know is if, if, they, if, they, if I can come with them to their Bible studies and they show me the prophecies. They also said that I won't, I, it doesn't make sense to me because I don't believe that Jesus already returned. So that actually pulled me back in because at that point I was about to get leave. I'm like, wait, so now you're saying Jesus already returned too? <laughs> and so the scripture that you were talking about in Matthew that talks about, you know, don't believe or whatever, I, I, I'm trying to get on Google, man. And I'm trying to find this scripture. I cannot remember this scripture to save my life. It was that scripture and another scripture. And I'm going to say that for later on in the show. But I couldn't find the scriptures, right? And so it was just frustrating me. But I'm like, I know, you know, Christ said, if they say there's the Christ, you know, look under this rock or look over here. I'm like, I knew this, but I couldn't find it or, or whatnot. Um, and you brought up a valid point when I talked to you about it. You was like, you know, you probably won't forget those scriptures again now because sometimes <laughs> you, know, you got to go through them or whatever. But anyhow... That's kind of what happened. And so after that happened, I was like, I have to warn the people who watch the show. I have to warn my kids, especially my daughter. She's about to get ready to go to college because my understanding, they, they are very rampant on college campuses. And then when you told me that uh, Mike Winger had did some shows about it, it reminded me of this uh, show he did where his father was like, help my daughter is stuck in this coat. We're trying mm -hmm. to get her out. She's she's lost, and, and he's telling her all the horrible things that went with her. Well, I had heard that a year or so ago, and then now here I am getting encountered by these people. And so the question is, hey, Rico, you chewing the gun again. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm going to take my gun out. He said he's getting a lot of air time. <laughs> my bad. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, so, so anyhow – the whole point of us doing this is to to be like a part two of an account for your faith. See, this is just another example of why we have to know our word, know God. Because if I didn't know God, man, they could have gotten me. I'm not going to lie. They was coming with some scriptures. They had everything highlighted. They were flipping back. I'm like, man, she really know her stuff, right? But then when I, when I hit her uh, with uh, Colossians 2, which at the time I didn't remember, but I was talking about how, you know, God talked about the Sabbath time and the whole nine, right? Um, but, you know, don't let anybody condemn you about worshiping on this day or whatever. I, and she was like, well, you need to read that whole thing in context. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, well, let's go to it. I was like, I can't remember, <laughs> but obviously you know what I'm talking about because you're telling me I need to read the whole thing, so let's go to it. And she couldn't find it, and that's when I knew she didn't really know scriptures. She just knew what they had told her to say to the, her right. proof text, right? right? Um, because she didn't know where to find it either, just like I did at the time. And I, and then I, when I got home and found it and read it, I was like, man, I really wish I would have remembered that because it would have just demolished everything she, she was talking. I was like, if, had we actually read the whole scripture in context, which we will tonight, it would have just crushed everything she was talking about. So anyhow, um, that's kind of what happened. But the church, if, 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 if it's not clear, the name of the church is, um, what is it, World Mission Society Church of God, right? Yeah. And so mm -hmm. um, before I even get into what they believe and what they talk about, um, it's my understanding that this church is known for trying to sue anybody who uh, speak bad about them. They try to hit you for slander and all that. So first and foremost, when I speak about what they believe, I pulled it directly from their website. You can go and fact check me by going to their website. The second thing is I'm giving my opinion of why I feel like what they're teaching from the Bible is incorrect. 
right? And so that's so I want to I want to start with that. But um, here's a couple of things from their website of what they believe. They the church was um, they said they believe that their church was established by the second coming of Christ. Um, they call him Ong Sung Hong. Uh, and it was uh, established in the Republic of Korea, right? And so that's one thing. They believe Ong Sung Hong is Jesus who had returned already, all right? They said their name um, originates from the Bible, and they quote 1 Corinthians 1 through 2 and Galatians 1, 13. Neither one of those scriptures talk about anything they believe, but it does mention church of God in those scriptures. Um they follow the example uh, of God the Father and God the Mother. So they believe that there is God the Father and they believe that there's a God the Mother. Um, matter of fact, from looking at other studies, not from their website, but apparently there's a Korean lady who's still alive who who she says she is God the Mother or whatever. But they quote Matthew 6, verse 9 and Galatians 4, uh, 26. And we'll probably get to those a little bit later on. But those are the scriptures that they quote to say that there's a God the Mother and God the Father. Uh, they believe, kind of going on what Anthony uh, was saying, they believe that Jesus taught the truth that saves mankind, and that truth is his, uh, following his covenant, which is keeping the Sabbath and observing Passover. So like Anthony said, true salvation, according to them, is through observing the Sabbath and, keep, and um, uh, keeping the Passover, the way that they do it, by the way, um, because other people don't uh, do it right. Um they believe that in this age of lawlessness, that they are leading the true religion reformation by restoring the truth, the early church, uh, the truth of the early church to lead humankind to uh, eternal life. And they got about, according to the website, they got about 3.3 million members. They got 7,500 churches across 175 countries. So that's a whole lot of people believing mm. in this false God, this false mother God. Um, and so I feel like this is a good opportunity to remind the viewers who are watching today of what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, uh, but I fear somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted. Just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent, you happily put up with whatever anyone tells you. Even if they, are pre even if they preach a different Jesus, than the one we preach or a different kind of spirit than the one you receive or a different kind of gospel than the one you believe. So, Paul, this is nothing new. This has been going on back when Paul was doing his thing, that people are preaching of the wrong Jesus, the wrong gospel. And what's scary about it and what really concerns me the most is that they call themselves Christians. They call themselves followers of Christ. But they're, they're teaching a different Christ. And so if a non-believer actually get approached by these people and evangelized by these people and end up at their church, I'm concerned that once they come out of this, they're not going to want to have anything to do with Christians because these people are labeling themselves Christians. And, and in my opinion, they're not, they're not following the Jesus we follow. Um, Anthony, anything else you want to add on the religion no, before we happen to it? No, I, I think, I think you covered it. Uh, one of the things that I want to highlight that you said is that they believe firmly if you are not baptized by them, if you are not doing things their way, then you are apostate. Yeah. You are destined uh, for eternal damnation. And you have to be baptized in the name of, I believe you said, Ong Song Hong. Hong. Yep. So they baptize you in his name, not in the name of Jesus, 
Not in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. None of that. Yep. They baptize in his name because they believe that he is the second coming. And they go by different names. When I first encountered them, I actually didn't know that this is what it was because I had never heard of it. And the the, the original people that I encountered was the seven sons of thunder. Oh, yeah, that's right. Seven sons of thunder. It was who I encountered. And it was a friend of mine who went to church and then got caught up in this and came to my house, brought this stuff to my house. And, you know, this, this, I couldn't believe it, you know? And I remember that was the first time I encountered it and it made my head hurt the way that they were interpreting scripture. So uh, I won't get too far into it. Cause I know you got more to share. Yeah, no, no, that's all good, man. Um, so my understanding is from, from listening to some of uh, uh, other people who've talked about them, they get into, they get some heat on these college campuses uh, and they get and they I guess once they find out about them they realize that they're um, they realize that they're a cult or whatever and so these college campuses won't allow them on so they change their name so that way they can still get in and you gotta like here's the thing man I, I, and I know this is part of one of my takeaways so I know I'm getting out of order here but but one of the things you gotta admire about them is that they're willing to go out and evangelize. Yes. And they're training yeah. their people on how to do it. So when I was talking to my pastor about this. I was like, we don't have a lot of opportunities as Christians to uh, be to do apologetics, to to combat this stuff. They're trained on this. They got the scriptures highlighted. So uh, it just reminds me of in Revelation where it say, if possible, even the elect will be deceived. Because these folks are coming at you with the Bible, and, they, and most times they know it better than us as Christians, even though they're following this script. But the, the scriptures they have, they they'll quote it out of context and then quickly move on to something else. So it leaves you thinking like, wait a minute, hold on. Maybe they do got a point, right? And so it's just a crazy thing, man. But um, so we're going to move to the second point where I talk about the scriptures that they use so you all can kind of be aware of it. And um, Now, I couldn't remember all of the scriptures, but I did want to go over the few that I can remember, right? Um, but one of the things we got to understand is a lot of this stuff is not going to make sense when, when we pull them up because <laughs> right. they do right. a lot of arguments from analogies. And so ultimately, they're, they're, what they fall back on is if there's a God the Father, then there must be a God the Mother. That's essentially, how they, that's essentially what they fall back on. If there's a God the Father, then there got to be a God the Mother because all humans came from a, a mother, from a womb. But what they fail to understand is it says god created us so we, you know the first human beings was created um by god the father so anyway that's kind of um i just want to throw that out there let's see what uh raymond uh, had to say here he says galatians 1 through 8 but even if we are angels from heaven preach any other gospel to you that we have preached to you let him be a curse yeah, I'm, you know, honestly, man, we definitely got to pray for these people because they're out there preaching it and they believe it. They believe it like straight up. They really do believe what they're what they're preaching. But let's go. Let's just, just hop right into these scriptures. And I'm going um, I'm to try to go to my little thing and pull them up so y'all can so we can read them together. And the first one is uh, Genesis. Chapter one. Verse 26. So if y'all got y'all Bibles and want to follow along, that's what we're going to be starting off. Genesis 1, 26. This is one of the scriptures that uh, they use. Keith says, people have been using scripture to facilitate their personal agenda since Paul. Straight up. Yeah, I agree. All right, so let's go to the pip uh, <clears throat> real quick. Hopefully y'all can see that. I wonder if I can make that bigger. 
I know there's a way for me to make it bigger. I just can't figure it out right now, y'all. <laughs> that's the problem with going live. See? Yeah, no, that's not it. <laughs> there, there used to... Oh, here, maybe it's here. Yeah, there it is. There we go. All right. And what I say, First uh, Genesis 26... Yeah, 126. All right, so this was one of the first scriptures. They they, they used this scripture to basically try to say that there's multiple gods, God the uh, Father and God the Mother, right? And Genesis 126 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish in the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and all over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so they said, well, who is God talking about? Who is let him make, uh, make, let us make man in our image. And then they go on to go into, uh, how he made them male and female. And so they kind of talk about that as well. And so, again, their argument is when God said let us make uh, them in our image, he was talking to Mother God, and so then he made Adam and he made Eve. And so that was one of the first things I kind of picked apart from them. I was like, well, first of all, he created Adam and then he made Eve from Adam's rib. So I believe when he say let, let us make them in our image, he's talking about what we would call the Trinity, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, other people may believe he's talking about the angels and other, but these folks believe that he's literally talking about the father and they're talking about um, uh, the God, the mother, which will make it more than one God. So that's the first thing that shows that they're not Christians because in the Christian religion, we believe that there's only one God, right? And their argument is the word used here is Elohim, and Elohim is a plural, plural word. But from scriptures, we know that Elohim is used in a singular tense throughout all scriptures. Now, we typically don't do this in the English language, right? Use a plural word in a singular tense, but they do in Hebrew. And so if you look at scriptures like Malachi, Corinthians, you know, I got a bunch of scriptures I lay out here. I'm going to let Anthony kind of speak on this one, and we can show those scriptures. But the word God used in a plural sense, uh, well, the word Elohim, being a plural word is often used as a one singular guy, and I can show that with scripture. You, you got anything you want to add, Anthony? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I would say that you you have to unpack that. So, you know, if anybody has um, access to a Strong's Concordance and they can look up the Hebrew, mm-hmm. um, what you have to do is you have to look at each um, each time the term Elohim is used and find out which one is being used because um, there's a scripture in Psalms uh, 82, six or 82, one that talks about the Elohim being in the midst of the Elohim. And so the Elohim is singular the first time because it's God in the midst of the gods or mighty men or, you know, angels or what have you. And so you, you've got to actually take a look at the the usage of the word because context is what gives us meaning if we don't look at the context and be consistent with the context then we can like you said make a hard and fast rule for every time we see this this is what this means but you actually have to break down each passage individually Mm -hmm. to make sure that you're translating the word correctly in that particular passage yeah, great point. But as you see here in Malachi 2.10, just as an example, it says clearly, have we not all one father? 
has not one God created us. And so in here, the word Elohim is used, which is, again, is a plural Hebrew word, but it's clearly speaking of one God, one Father. Um, and that well, one God, and that one God is, is the Father, right? And so anyhow, um, again, that was the first thing they tried to hit me with. They tried to say that God, and they, if you notice in that scripture, it says nothing about God and the Mother. You know, so let's just make that let's make that clear uh, right off the bat. So another scripture that they used was Galatians uh, four twenty six. So let's go there. Um, all right. So um, this is one that they quoted, and um, I'm not gonna lie. This is probably one of their. Uh, this is probably one of the ace in the whole scriptures, right? Because it, it actually talks about a mother there, right? So yeah. let's see what it says. It says, but the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, rejoice, O barren one, who does not bear, break forth, and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. So, so right there, and, and again, this is how they do it. They'll hop through these scriptures. So they hit me with Genesis, then they hopped over to this scripture, and then they tried to hop over to another scripture, right? But uh, but they're basically saying, right here it says, but the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother, right? But if you if you just read this, uh, if you actually read this in context, just go back a few verses, you will see that this makes absolutely no sense of what they're, of what they're trying to... Um, what they're trying to portray. They're trying to portray that we have a God and a mother by quoting this by quoting this verse. But let's let's kind of read a little bit. Galatians 4 21, it says, Tell me you who desire to be under the law. Do you not listen to the law? See, this is the funny thing about it too. If they actually read this, they'll know that some of their practices that they're doing, this is actually speaking against it. Because they're very law restricted. They're very works. Uh, like you got to do these works to be saved. But it says, tell me you who deserve to be under the law. Do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave woman was born according to the uh, flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, verse 24 is very important that to combat what they're talking about. It says, now this may be interpreted allegorically, basically saying that this can be an example or an illustration. This is not to be taken literally. Like we talked about earlier how uh, his oath may not have been taken literal. Well, the Bible's telling you right here not to take this literal. It's saying it's an allegory, right? It says, these women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in uh, Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem. So she's the allegory for the present Jerusalem. For she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. And then it goes in for us written in the whole nine. So the point is, not only is this an allegory, it's, it's an illustration. It's not meant to be taken literal. It's talking about two different women. So then, is there two mother gods, or is there only one mother god? You know, and so it just, it just, it, when you actually take the time to read this stuff in context, you'll see what they're saying makes absolutely no sense. Uh, before I move to the next one, I'll let you touch on it a, a little bit, Anthony. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on there. There's not much extra to add to this, but like you said, the Jerusalem above is free. 
um, is our mother. It's really talking about the the origin of of the Israelites, you know. And like you said, um, we got Hagar, you know, we got Sarah, you know. One represents, you know, the 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 flesh, and the other represents the spirit, right? One represents the covenant child versus the one that is not. And so that's what this is talking about. And like you said, um, when you read this, basically it's not talking about a mother God. It's talking about a mother land, but in a figurative sense, using mother, you know, because um, out of Jerusalem, which comes from Abraham and Sarah, comes the promise, you know, and because this entire book is about Jesus being the promise, being the seed, not the seeds, the seed of Abraham that is to bless all mankind. Nothing in here is referring to a mother God at all. And you would, you would think, okay, if we're going to use this, then at least let it say mother God, you know, instead of just, you know, trying to mystically interpret it when the context give us, gives us meaning. And again, anybody listening, context gives you meaning. All you got to do is read the context and it's going to, you know, almost force you to see what it's trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 the, um, the funny thing about it is they, they kept hollering, oh, well, read the context. Read, you need to read this in context, but they quickly hop it on and off of it. So I find myself right. having to say, um, I find myself having to say, no, 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 let's go back to that. Let's read it a little bit more. And then that's when they kind of started getting frustrated with me because you could see that nobody, you know, that they wasn't used to being held to the standard of actually reading what it says. And when you show, you got, when you show you what it says. Good comments, Rico. You might want to check your comments. Okay, well, let's, let's check it out. We'll go, we'll start with Raymond. He says, when we encounter something like this, we don't know how to combat it. The first place we need to do is pray and search the scriptures. Hey, man, that's a valid point. Um, later on today, if we got time, I'm going to pull up some comments of people who got out of this and, you know, and, and how they dealt with it. And that, and that reminds me, too, if you look in my um, video description, I have links to other people who did more in-depth teachings on this, um, people who uh, give testimonies of how they got out of this and the whole nine. So if you want to study them a little bit more, which I encourage you to, because I'm going to tell you now, they are targeting, especially young women, they are targeting people at colleges and stores, and once they get them it is hard to get them out they convince these people and these people turn against their entire family once that once they get in here so you definitely want to be warning your family members about this at the bare minimum um your loved ones um let's see what else um tim says amen uh raymond matthew 24 24 watch out for false religions uh let's see what else Keith says, all scriptures has to be studied to understand this context. You should always be skeptical of people who piece together different scripture to evangelize. It's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, Let's see. Elohim means God in Hebrew. Elohim was understood by ancient Hebrew to be any spirit beings. Yeah, so I... I, I like what Anthony said though. Like if you read it in the context, you'll know. Like if it's if it's like Elohim's talking about angels or other spirit beings, right. the context will show you that. If it's talking about God, Elohim, the context will show you that. A lot. Of, and I think it's a lot of times why they say God, the Father. Like it clarifies, right? You know. So maybe I don't know. Like, Yahweh. They'll actually use his personal name, Yahweh or Jehovah. You know, mm-hmm. so that it designates him. But there are there are points where they use Elohim for the Father. You know, but it's it's not actually that common. 
um that's why you want to actually read the context and actually take a look at that word and say well how are they translating this word so i think east side apologetics that's a great point because it could be just spiritual beings it could even be kings or mighty men yeah yeah so I, yeah i think that's where and man i hate to bring bring this up but i think that's where um uh, Pastor uh, Creflo Dollar is in error when he talks about we're gods. Yeah. You know, we're little gods. As I, I believe it's talking about kings and, and and the scriptures that he used for that. But yeah, a lot of people preach that we're gods from that just from just from misunderstanding Elohim being God versus kings. You know. So anyhow, uh, the next uh, scripture that they they hit me with, they they took me into Revelation. And first of all, Revelation within itself. Like, you got to study that thing multiple times because there's a lot of symbolism and a lot of stuff in there. And so when I was in the Revelation, I really, like, they put me on the spot heavily in Revelation. And I did my best to kind of give my understanding of it. But the reality of it is Revelation sometimes, like, we could be interpreting Revelation wrong in certain areas based on, you know, like, when you say beast, that may be a kingdom or it may be actually a beast or whatever the case may be. But anyhow, they, they took me to Revelation 19, 7. And it says, um, and this is kind of where they really start attacking whether or not we're the bride, whether the church is the bride or not, right? It said, let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell to his feet and worshiped him. But he said to me, you must not do that, my fellow servant. So here's kind of how they broke this down to me. They was like, they came here. They was like, okay, so we see that there's a marriage to come, the marriage of the lamb. And his bride made herself ready, Right. And then they come, and then they hop down and said, "Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb." Of the lamb. So they're like, "How are you the bride if you're invited? How, how, you know, if you're invited to the marriage, if you're a guest, typically, you know, the bride is, you know, it's not a guest or some something to that extent." And then they hop off of that, and then they move to Revelation um, 21. So before we get into that, we'll just go. We'll go to Revelation 21. All right, so then it came over here, and then he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. All right, for the first heaven and the first earth has passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And so this is kind of where it really messed me up, because it looked like, you know, Jerusalem is the bride. Uh, and then they said, uh, what did he say? Hold on, I lost my spot. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be with his people and God himself will be their God. So so essentially, they took me to this. Hey, Liz, thank you for uh, checking in. Appreciate it. So, so, so now, they took me to Revelation and they're trying to show me how God, you know, the lamb is about to marry his bride. And basically that bride is uh, Jerusalem. So, again, to me, as they're telling me this, I'm like, it still is not making sense to me. For a couple of reasons, I feel like you're, kinda, you're taking this out of context. One, 
when it says blessed are those who are invited to the land, I be, uh, invited, I believe that it's speaking on us having to share the gospel with others so that they will become the bride. So blessed are those who are who are not currently the bride, but they get they hear the gospel and they become a part of the church. Again, this was me caught off guard, not really studying Revelation, just looking at it and just saying, hey, that that to me doesn't mean that we're not the bride. But then, two, what they, where they when they got to 21, it did kind of give me a pause a little bit because if you read it, it looks as if that Jerusalem is, um, it looks it looks like that Jerusalem is the, uh, the bride, right? And so I, I had to do a little bit more studying on this. And so to me, um, um, as I looked at it, I think there. I think what Revelation is doing here, Anthony, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but this is just kind mm-hmm. of my understanding. I believe it's looking like Jerusalem in the sense of the residence of Jerusalem. So, like the church. So, if so, like if we're, we're the bride, we're the church. Those who are saved, when the new heaven and new earth, the new Jerusalem is created, that's going to be our dwelling place, right? And so, just like how you was like how you would say. Um, I'm from I'm from America, all right. So the Americans or whatever, our America is is like the bride. It's, I think they're really more so focusing on the residents of of this uh, holy city, uh, the New Jerusalem. Um, and there's a, there's a couple other things. Um, there's a couple things that I, I read read about when I looked at this. And so um, if you look into the Old Testament, it kind of talk about like the wife of Jehovah, and that's typically like um, the the Israelites is is the old 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 Jerusalem, and then the bride of Christ is typically what we read in the New Testament, basically the the uh, Gentiles who who follow Christ now, um, they're considered the bride of Christ. Both of us will reside in um in in this one place. New Jerusalem together. And so from what I was reading and what I was looking at, it was saying the New Jerusalem is a city as the bride of the Lamb because it's a place that both Israel and the church, so like the people under the Old Covenant and us under the New Covenant, you know, the bride of Christ, we will all reside, we will both reside in this one place. And so, again, you got to do a whole lot of Bible reading to kind of understand this. But, again, in the Old Testament, they were kind of, allegorically refer to the uh, Jerusalem um, or the Israelites as like the wife of Jehovah. And then in the New Testament, we kind of see that we're the bride of Christ, the bride of the Son, and both of us will reside in the New Jerusalem. And so, again, that's kind of how they explain it. Uh, Anthony, what, what what are your thoughts on Revelation 21? Yeah, I, I, again, I, I agree with you on all, all those things, those, those pictures, those me- metaphors. But, you know, this is this is why, you know, the people around me call me Mr. Slow it down, because when you slow this down and you look at verse two again, and he says, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned mm-hmm. for husband, as is a metaphoric uh, word. It's it it, it 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 incites that it's a simile. That we're not talking about they are the bride yeah is describing how new jerusalem was coming down out of heaven wasn't saying that new jerusalem was prepared or that new jerusalem is the bride adorned for her husband it says as and so when you just slow that down because like they do like you said they throw barrages at you they're throwing scriptures at you so fast that you don't have time to say let me look at this scripture a little bit longer and make sure I understand what you're saying. Mm-hmm. But right 
in the verse, it tells you that, oh, this is a metaphor or simile. Yeah. Like or as means that it's not saying literally that Jerusalem is is the bride adorned. It says prepared, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride. So this is not saying that Jerusalem is a bride at all. It's saying that this is the way it was adorned coming out of heaven. That's a good point. When you slow it down, because they they, they try to get you with just throwing verses at you, you know, and for years I've dealt with different people who do this to you. They'll give you a scripture and they'll read it real fast and they'll they'll try to hit you with it real quick and then they'll jump off of it and you guys say, whoa, 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 whoa. let's go back and look, look at that again. Because if we look at that again, the answer to our question is in the scripture that they're trying to use against us. Yeah, man, and that's so funny because the two scriptures that they, that I couldn't remember at the time, it it clarifies all of this, and I really wish I would have shared it with them at the time. But yeah, man. um, So essentially, that's those were the scriptures that I remembered that they threw out at me. Right, those were the few, and and so I got to a point because. We, I seen that they were just reading stuff out of context, and we weren't getting <laughs> right. anywhere. And they kept telling me how I need to come to this Bible study. So then I was like, well, look. I was like, I'm not coming to this Bible study because I don't believe we're worshiping the same God. And so you you asking me to come to your Bible study is essentially like me, you know, like, uh, like if an atheist asked me to come to a seance or a worship thing, I'm not coming somewhere where I don't feel. Matter of fact, it gave me the whole vibes I got when I was approached for, um, twice to become a, 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 a Freemason. So two mm-hmm. guys that I know approached me. They wanted me to be Freemason. I asked them about it. It was all secretive. They couldn't tell me. And I'm like, look, I'm not coming somewhere <laughs> where you can't even tell me what I'm getting into. For all I know, I get there and y'all sacrifice me. You know, so like, I'm, not about to, I'm not about to go somewhere where you're not going to get me. And it was the same vibe from this, right? And even my wife, when she was hearing it, she was like, man, so like, I'm not even as well versus you, but my my spirit it wasn't sitting right and she was like before we knew who this church was and we were, me and my wife were kind of talking about it afterwards in the store she was like it just feels like what they were trying to do was use the bible to they, they want to use the bible to, to to hook us in to make us think they're christians but then once we get to their bible study they show us all these other books and different things outside the bible and that's kind of what she kept saying and if you listen to some other people's testimonies on that's kind of where they were at and so those were the scriptures they was using. So I got to a point where I was like, okay, look, you know what? Because I really wanted to, you know, like, evangelize to these people, right? I was like, listen, I'll come to your Bible study if you can show me anywhere in the Bible where it says it's okay for us to worship God the Mother. Because I feel like you're worshiping a false God, so just show me. Just show me. It's like Father God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, they're all throughout the Bible. There's no, they're like, they're, they're not hidden. You ain't got to do this weird reading of the text. If you ain't got you, like, just show me where God authorized us to worship this God, the mother person, and I'll come to your Bible study. And they just, they, they couldn't show me because it's not there. There's like, there's literally <laughs> one, it's, it's not there at all. And so you got to ask yourself, like, if there really is a God, the mother, why is she so hidden in the scriptures? Right. And so that's kind of where we were at. Th- those were the scriptures they hit me with, which, as you can see, they don't have a big argument if you know your word. So the final segment I want to uh, talk about with this and we'll get ready to wrap it up is um, is my takeaways, my lesson learned from interacting with them. And, and Anthony, if you have some things that you want to 
some tips and feedbacks, feel free to share it too. But the biggest takeaway that I, I got from this, again, I've said it a couple times, is the importance of knowing God, knowing his character, knowing who he is, um, and, and, and knowing your Bible. And so I – I would encourage you to look at some of the links to learn more about this uh, religion so that way you will know. But the, but what we should really do is just know our God, know our religion. So when somebody hit us with something different, then we'll know. I think they do it when they teach, um, like, FBI agents on how to look at dollar bills, right? They teach them how, you know, how the real one looks so well that when they see a fake one, they, they, they know it's not the real thing. But that was one of the biggest things. Um, I felt like if I didn't have a relationship with God, like if I didn't actually have no God, then I could have easily been persuaded to believe in this false God, just how they was kicking it with such, uh, with such confidence or whatever. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and then, um, again, I had these two scriptures that I wanted to share with them, but I couldn't remember. So that was another big takeaway was, uh, the importance of memorizing verses, right? I, I've never been a kind of person, man, I already shared this with Anthony. Um, when, when I'm in school, right. I do really well at taking tests, but after I take the test, I forget it. So like, uh, like section tests or monthly tests or whatever, I, I do good at those. But like SATs, like overall annual tests, I don't do so well at those because my memory is bad. Like I, I, I know it when I need it, and then I forget it. And so it's really hard for me to remember, oh, that's in verse so-and-so or whatever. But I came into a situation where I wish I had what, where I wish I had that. And, you know, Anthony was kind of telling me, he was like, well, sometimes, well, Anthony, I'll let you share. Share with them what you what you shared with me because you, how you got the photographic memory and that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, you know, I, I believe it's, you know, it's kind of a gifting from God, but it's something that you also, you know, hone in the skill, you know, from reading the Bible so much, you kind of remember what it looks like on the page. And so a lot of times when I'm quoting the scripture, I'm scrolling through the page in my mind. So I'm looking down the page in my mind and locating the scripture. Like he was talking about, you know, when he spoke about, uh, uh, don't let anyone judge you, uh, on what you eat, new moon, Sabbath, you know, I'm scrolling down the page of Colossians chapter two, and I'm looking for verse 17, you know, and I'm like, Oh, okay, that's where it is. You know? (laughs) And so I'm thinking in my mind, I'm looking at all the verses in my mind from reading it so much. But I also was saying that, you know, man when you encounter something like this you will remember those verses now you you'll 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 have them snapshotted in your mind and you'll remember them because you're like they're not going to get me like that again and that's what got me into believe it or not rico that's what got me really into memorizing and knowing what the scripture said and being able to go to it because i encountered the seven the seven sons of thunder you know they were church of god you know, from like Colorado Springs, friend of mine came, good friend, you know, we had hung out and he was talking about, you know, he turned his life over to the Lord and he wanted to come by and do a Bible study with. Yeah. That's how they get you. Bible study was about four or five hours. Yeah. About stuff that, you know, you're like, Hey man, I don't know, but I don't think you can do this with scripture, you know, because what they do, if you really get into a deep study with them, is that they create their own, um, I would call it their own legend. And so what they do is that they say, this represents this. So every time you see this, Mm. it means this. And so once they do that to you, they go throughout all these scriptures and you're supposed to interpret these things as what they originally said it meant. So if they say, every time you see cloud, know that that means flesh. So now every time you read cloud, 
it means flesh because Jesus is going to return in the clouds, which means he's going to return in the flesh. Oh, yeah. And that's how they set me. And that's how they set me up, man. And I was like, I know this isn't right, <laughs> but I can't refute it because they're so good man. at peace these things together and it's like whoa this is just you know and like i said they come at you throwing stuff at you so fast that you don't have a time you don't have a chance to kind of sit back and say okay what does this verse actually say and so after that i begin to study and like you said and i love your points know god know his character and know your bible i think those are great points that you, you that everybody should hang on to and i'm going to add one more thing to that always do not be afraid to make them slow down yeah that's if good. you make them slow, if you say hey you're going too fast for me you know i'm not the brightest you know uh per, you know person so i need you to slow down can we read this verse again because if you do that they're probably going to get frustra- frustrated with you and walk away because they know that now you're paying attention <laughs> now you're actually reading the verses yeah. and you're not letting them just run their script at you and i'm like you rico I, and I and I hate to say this, I I admire their zeal, I admire their willingness to get out there, yeah. I admire the fact that they are well trained, you know, and 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 I I struggle with when it comes down to Christians trying to equip them to evangelize. Most Christians don't feel like that's their job. They feel like their job is just to invite people to church and let the pastor preach to them. Yeah. You know that not my job to actually know my Bible and be able to share it with other people. And that I struggle with that. And so I try to equip everybody around me to be able to take whatever I'm teaching. Like, here, this is what the Bible says. Now you go and explain it because you're not going to say, well, Pastor Anthony told me this. No, you better not. You better say, I studied the word and this is what I got out of it. Uh Oh, I think I muted you on the interview. My bad. I want to show the scripture again where it says that, uh, that um, the responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build his church. I don't know why that muted you when I went to that scene, but let's, let's go back. All right. But yeah, so, but, but, but you're right. People, people don't think it's their responsibility and they, they put it all on the pastors or or the elders or whoever in the church. And so, um, but the, those pastors, preachers, teachers, apostles are supposed to equip you so, so you can do the work. And so, again, one of the biggest takeaways I had was, like, okay, now I got to do a better job at um, memorizing. And I think it was telling us, like, you probably won't forget that. But, yeah, so I'm going to go to those two scriptures that I wish I had shared with them there. Like, it hunts me that I did not share it with them there. Not so I can win the argument or not so I can, but just so I can, you know, hopefully – Free them. Give, put a little pebble in their shoe to where every time they step on it, okay, I got to go start looking into this in my, uh, for myself. And, and as I, I, after I read other people's comments on, this, on this, uh, their experience with them, it confirmed to me that they are just using a script. So it looks like they're really good. It looks like they really know, but they're just using a the script. They're using something that they were taught. And I would say we got to do a better job as Christians. Of, of teaching us, you know, kind of what to say. But let me go. Let me go to these scriptures real quick because I think they're going to be valuable, especially if you run across them. If you run across them, just like, hey, well, can you explain to me what this scripture say and what that scripture say, and then just see how they take it? Because I guarantee you, they didn't put this. They didn't account for this in their script, right? Um, but yeah. So let's see. So the first one was in Matthew uh, twenty-four. 
Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Matthew 24, uh, starting at verse, uh, let me see, I started at verse 23, I guess. It says, oh, yeah, so this was the scripture that we were talking about if Christ returned. So they really believe that he already returned. And it says here, if anyone say to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand, so if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, do not go out there. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from, from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. So, when bottom line is, when Jesus comes back, we all gonna know about it. Like, like they're not. We're not gonna. Not only a certain group of people gonna know, and I, and everybody. When he returns, we're all gonna know about it. And so that was the one thing uh, where I was like, listen, I don't know how you believe that Jesus already turned, but the Bible actually tell us not to believe you when you say it. It's not anything that you were talking about that a little bit earlier. And then the second one was Colossians two. Well, stay there for a second, real quick. I know, okay. you, I know, you got to you got to get moving. But no, no, go ahead. This this this, this verse because you just reminded me of the other part um, that they they tried to pull on me. So this verse is also um, their justification for uh, being cessationist. So they don't believe in miracles. They don't believe in you know um, any type of healings or anything because they said that's going to be associated with false Christ because. Mm. This particular verse, if you keep reading, it talks about the Son of Man coming in the clouds. And so they interpret cloud. This is why I told you about the story about the cloud. Mm -hmm. Because later on in this passage, it says that he'll be coming in the clouds with the trump of God. Um, uh, and, and and that, uh, yeah, we're, scroll down from the heavens, angels, trump. Uh, I think it's back up. You might have skipped, skipped over it. Uh, but somewhere in there. It talks about there it is uh, 20 uh, 30 then will appear in heaven the signs of the son of man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And so on the clouds of heaven is in the flesh for them. Yeah, that's how they got uh, Ong Song hung as the Christ because he's wrapped in flesh. And so, I mean, it, it, it like you said, their stuff doesn't make any sense because they treat the entire Bible as an allegory. So I just wanted to point that out. Yeah, and it's, I mean, and if you read, like, then will appear in the heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Nobody did this when Ong Sung Hong nobody was born. Nobody even knew. And nobody had no <laughs> clue, right? And so it just makes no sense. So then we go to Colossians 2. This was the other one where I was like, okay. I was like, this is the one, like, I'm trying, I'm, I'm on Google, like, I know that God said this, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to find it, and I couldn't find it, and so I was like, listen, you know, God talked, God told us, don't be, you know, do not be, uh, do not let anybody judge us on not celebrating holidays and Sabbaths and all that, and this is where they really hang up at, because this, this is what she told me, she was like, no, I will not go to one of your Bible studies, Cause at some point, I was like, well, would you come to one of my Bible studies, and she, she was like, I will not come to your Bible study, because I know that you're not a Sabbath observer, right, I know that you don't <laughs> observe the Sabbath or something like that, and so that's when we kind of got down to this, and so I was like, well, look, 
you know, God said that she's like, well, you need to read that whole thing in context because you don't understand it. And I couldn't remember exactly where it's at. So I'm like, well, let's go read it. Show it to me. Teach me. And she couldn't find it either. And that's when I knew she was dealing with a script because she couldn't find this either. But then when I got home and read it, and I was like, man, I wish I would have remembered. Because if we had a read that in context, it would have just completely destroyed her whole thought process. So right. that's what I'm going to do here. I'm going to read this, and I'm going to read it. I'm going to read. I'm gonna, let me see how long chapter two is. Cause we've been going. Yeah, I'm going to read all of chapter two. So that way nobody can argue that I didn't read it in context. And then we'll have a conversation about it. Hold on. All right, here we go. So it says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those of Lacedia and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, be knitted together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So that's another thing. When people start pointing out all these mysteries and things you haven't heard, it says clearly that uh, that that mystery is Christ, and because of the people just didn't understand it, you know, back in the Old Testament. Anyway, that's a sidebar. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. So this is the context of it. He's doing this so nobody will hit you with these plausible arguments. For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and firmness of your faith in Christ. All right, so we send you up. That's the concept. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So notice here, before I go on, just as they were taught. This is one of the arguments I have with a lot of people that try to hit me with stuff that 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 the Old Testament tell us to do, but the New Testament don't tell us to do, right? And I'm not going to get into all that. You know, we, I, I looked at your video on Tyler Anthony, and I, you know where I stand on that. That's one of the things. But one of the questions I always ask people is say, well, why didn't Paul teach the Gentiles? Like, when, where did the people in Africa and London and all the other, where did they learn to do the stuff that only the Israelites was taught to do, right? So we see here Paul is teaching them. Now listen to what Paul says as he's teaching them. It says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human traditions. Like, I swear most of these religions, that's what they try to hit you with, human traditions. According to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. So, again, some, I think at that time they were trying to tell him to get circumcised because that's what the Jews did. But you were made with the circumcision without hands by putting the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that should that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So when people say, well, God put that to the cross, right? That's where they're getting it from. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over the, in him. And this is where 
where we get into what I wanted to share with the lady. This is the verse that I actually couldn't remember. And this is what it says. It says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. So I'm just going to pause right there for a minute, if you don't mind, Anthony. Previous in this chapter, Paul is telling them how they need to live according to Christ. And he's instructing them and teaching them. And then he comes down here and he says, don't let nobody judge you on this. It was almost like God knew that we're about to be getting judged and criticized on Sabbaths. Or how, that's another thing they believe. If you, worship, if you follow any holidays, all the holidays are pagan. And you're worshiping pagan gods if you follow these holidays. And I did a show on that. So if y'all look through my cross playlist, I talked about holidays as well. But uh, anyhow, this is what it's. This is this is what it's saying. This, he's saying, don't let them judge you on this stuff. He said, these are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you. Don't let them tell you you ain't saved. Right? This is what Paul is telling you. Don't let nobody disqualify you. Insisting on asceticisms and worship of angels, going on in details about visions, puffed up without reasons by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knitted together through its joints and ligaments grow with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human percepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom. Guys, I mean, Paul tell you, it looks like there's an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and assistantism and severity to the body, but there are no value in stopping the indulgence of flesh. And so she said, I need to read it in context, and this goes completely against the teachings that they teach. That whole two, however long I was there with her, had I made my way to Colossians 2, read it in context like she said, it would have just it would have went against everything she was talking about. Right? And so anyhow, um that was the other that was the other thing that, that I wanted to uh that I, that was my biggest takeaway is just making sure we, we know God and we know the Bible. We gotta know these verses that that we know them so well that when somebody give us a clever teaching that sounds like the truth, we can identify as being false. Anthony, any thoughts on Colossians 2? Yeah, this is this is the one that I went to as well when I dealt with them um, because, you know, Paul is clear about this teaching. Um, and as you said, um, another, another chapter that's very important is Acts chapter 15 mm-hmm. because Acts chapter 15 is a companion to Galatians. And, you know, Acts chapter 15 shows the apostles and the elders at Jerusalem in the council of Jerusalem settling the argument of do the Gentiles have to become Jews in order to be Christians. Mm -hmm. And they settled that argument and they gave them, um, I think there was four things that they gave them. They said, if you keep these and they said it felt good to us and through the Holy Spirit, um, scroll down to verse 28 since you're there already. Uh, you scroll down to verse 28. Uh, yeah, keep going. Yep. And so he says, for it has seemed good to, uh, to the Holy spirit and to us 
to lay no greater burden than these requirements that you abstain from what is sacrificed to idols from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. This is what they sent to all the Gentile churches. Mm. And when you see people don't notice that when you go into Acts chapter 16, 17, 18, Paul is taking these letters with this information on it to all the Gentile churches and saying, this is what the apostles at Jerusalem uh, uh, decided that if you keep these things, you will do well. And the Bible says that they, they, they that there was cheers, that there was joy in every city that Paul went to taking this information to them. Man, that's a very good point. There's other scriptures that I want to, um, other good scriptures to note that's going to help combat against this, uh, like when people come at you like this. Uh, before I go to those, let me pull up. Uh, a couple of things. Keith said, evangelists are false prophets are so dangerous now because people feel so unfulfilled and alienated today. But that's a very valuable... That was another thing I took away from looking at all this. Um, and how many people in the comment section were saying, hey, they approached me and I wanted to be in a Bible study and it was cool. I moved to the city and I got approached and I was looking for church members. And so like... Like hearing these other people's testimonies make it clear that people are out there wanting to know about God. And and, right. and we as Christians, we have to we have to go out there and be fishermen of men like God told us to. Uh, and they're doing it. And so while we're out sitting fat and happy not doing it, they're doing it. And so one easy way you can do it is share this show with somebody. And when they can come in here and hear the word of God, you can share a Love Thy Neighbor podcast. Like, like this is my, my way of trying to uh, fellowship with the lost, uh, or spread the gospel with the lost, and also fellowship with Christians. Um, yeah. And so um, I was just thinking, like, I need to get back to a point where I'm going out um, uh, advertising for my show, but while I'm doing that, praying for people, sharing the gospel with people. Because when I was in California, I was heavy in doing that. And when I got here and got busy, I kind of fell back on it. But, um, but no, that's a, that's a very valid point, Keith. Raymond says, amen. Every knee will bow. Sounds like they follow the same pattern of recruitment and other cults like Jehovah Witness and Mormons. Yeah, a lot of the stuff was was kind of similar to to what they was you know how they was doing it. Um, and then I got some kind of spam thing there that I'm not gonna pull up. Spam, yeah. Um, but here's a couple other good scriptures um, that I, I kind of took note of that I was like, oh, this is good information to remember as well when I'm dealing with this. And I honestly can't remember what they said, so I'm going to go to them. Uh, so Galatians 10, um, oh, yeah, here's another one. It says, you, ob- you observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored you in vain, right? Um, brothers, I let's see. Hold on, wait. So so I, th- I think I pulled that one up to kind of go back to observing certain holidays, observing certain Sabbaths, because these guys, they believe in, um, they, be- they believe in, um, Again, the only way you get saved is through the Sabbath and observing the Passover. And so Paul, again, talking to the Galatians, formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored 
over you in vain. Brother, I treat you become as I am. And then he kind of goes into that. So he's talking about the different days there. Um, another one is Romans uh, 14. Let's see. Five, so let's see what that says. Okay, Romans, Romans, and Romans, it says, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days are alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, observe it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us die to himself. For we, if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's, for to the end Christ died and lived again. So basically what Paul is saying here, if you want to observe one day, if you want to take the Sabbath day and, and rest and observe that to the Lord, then fine. If you want to observe all the days because we believe in, you know, that Christ, um, it was a foreshadow of Christ, then fine. But so my question would be if, if, if the Sabbath observation is key to our salvation, why is Paul teaching us about the difference in people uh, believing in these, observing these different days? He says both we're doing it unto the Lord. And it's kind of what you talked about, Anthony, about when it comes to tithing. If you feel in your heart that you want to tithe, there's nothing wrong with tithing. There's nothing wrong with giving ten percent. Let me say it that way because mm -hmm. people people kind of mix tithing and giving. Yeah, it's more yeah, than that. Yeah, yeah. And so, so anyhow, same thing. Like, hey, if you want to observe that day and you're doing it unto the Lord, cool. Do it. <laughs> this is what Paul is saying. Another one I had was Romans four. Let me see what that one says. And, and while you're going to that, I'm gonna say this as well: is that people have to understand that. You know, the, the Sabbath was not about a day of worship. Remember, the Sabbath was supposed to be a day of rest. Mm -hmm. And that's how the Old Testament portrayed it. It wasn't until the intertestamental period that synagogues came about and they began to um, read the scriptures in the synagogues. This was not a command from the Lord. And mm -hmm. see, a lot of people don't connect that because they don't actually, you know, research their Bible. That if you look at the Old Testament, there were no synagogues. Synagogues was something that came out of the intertestamental period, just like Pharisees and Sadducees. And there, none of those people were in the Old Testament. And so yeah. synagogue was something that they created um, to have a time of worship. That has nothing to do with the Sabbath. And people have to understand that. And so the Sabbath is supposed to be a day of rest. You're not supposed to do anything. Sunday worship is in honor of Christ's resurrection. That's what makes us Christians, because if Jesus doesn't rise, then we are men most miserable. And that's what they did in the book of Acts. There's evidence that they did that in Acts. And so a lot of people argue that, well, they, well, they the Jewish people in Acts, they went to the synagogues on, on the Sabbath day or whatever. And because they were okay. Jews, they were Jewish yeah. people. But, <laughs> yeah. but the Gentiles, they wasn't doing that. You no. know, when, when, when Paul was preaching to them, they, they were meeting on the first day of the week. They had to determine, they determined what they was going to set aside. You talked about that when you talked about tithing. I keep bringing it up. But again, there's evidence in Acts that they did it. So all these, all these churches that try to say, oh, well, you're worshiping Satan and you're worshiping pagan, whatever, because you're worshiping on Sunday, they did it in Acts. Yeah. The early church Paul, did the same thing. Paul taught it in Corinthians, uh, I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter 16. He said, I teach this in all the churches, the churches of Galatia and all the churches that you gather together 
something to give on the first day of the week. And so they came together on the first day of the week and they gave their offerings for the saints. And so they were gathering regularly on the first day of the week. (laughs) Yeah. Amen. Um, uh, Romans uh, four. What then shall we say? What's, um, I'm sorry. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justifi- justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So, again, I share that verse to, for you to share with somebody who comes. They're very works heavy. Um, I, as I was reading one thing, they were saying how they really believe, like, if you're not at their church on the Sabbath day, yeah. if you're outside of it, you're in danger and you're, and you're doomed. Yeah. Like, they're you very work-heavy. You got to run in there real quick. Or yeah. <laughs> I, mean, it's, it, I mean, it's just a lot of stuff, man. And so I know we're, we're, we're going late. We're over two hours. But I do want to quickly go over some of these comments of what um, – I want to go over some of the comments of what uh, people were saying um, that have encountered them. And uh, then we'll wrap, we'll wrap the show up and call it a night. But uh, so let's see. I know that's kind of small. Hopefully y'all can kind of see it. I'll uh, do my best to kind of read it out loud. But the first comment, the, le- the person was saying, I-, I left the church uh, 2019 and it t- and took all my family out. But the main thing that gave me strength at first to do more research was Acts 17, 11, right? And then, um, and then, so h- hold on, let me let me come here. He said he. D- so. Um, uh, uh, Mario said, I have to respectfully disagree about people worshiping on the first day of the week in the book of Acts. Is there a reference text? Yeah, All Acts right. chapter 20, verses 7 and 8, if he wants to check it out. All right. So let's go. And, and believe it or not, most people overlook that the day of Pentecost was a Sunday morning. And so they were gathered together praying on the day of Pentecost, which, which was a Sunday morning as well. What, what verse is that in so we can go there too? Oh, that's just Acts chapter 2? Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right, so it says, on the first day of the week, I mean, as soon as you kick off, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and the young man named, you know, so I won't go through the whole thing, but they were gathered that day. Um, where where is it Galatians where he talks about uh, tithing? I mean about giving on the first day as well. Um, uh, first, uh, it's Corinthians chapter sixteen. Oh yeah, and it's just verse one and two. First, uh, first Corinthians chapter sixteen, verse one and two. Corinthians uh, sixteen, yeah, verse one and two. Yeah. All right, now, concerning the collection of the saints, as I directed the church of uh, Galatia, so you are also to do. On the first day of every week, each of you are to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. So there will be no collection when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom accredit by letter and carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seem advisable that I should also, they will be accompanying me. So, again, they, they're meeting together on the first day. Um, uh, what was the one you, you, you uh, brought up? Acts chapter 2. Acts 2. On the uh, day of Pentecost. So uh, let's see where if if it specifies the first day. Yeah, let's see if it specifies. 
I don't see where it's saying it's the first day. Yeah, I don't see where it says the first day for uh, for that one. Yeah, it doesn't specify it. Yeah, but but there multiple scriptures show that the people, the church, they were. You said Tim said at the top. I don't see it at the top, Tim. Acts one two. Well, because historically, when the, the day of Pentecost is the the day after the Sabbath, so that would that would be a deep dive. Um, oh, okay. That would be a deep dive study to kind of to to kind of get that. So, like you said, it doesn't explicitly say it, and so you know that would be a full study of the <clears throat> Pentecost um, being the fiftieth day. So you have seven Sabbaths plus one day, which would give you the first day of the week, which would have been a Sunday because it's the 50th day. So that's what Pentecost means. It means the 50th day. So seven Sabbath, because there's seven days of the week, plus one would be uh, the 50th day. Copy. But yeah, so, but all throughout scripture, it talks about how the, the, the church, the New Testament church, they were gathering on the first day. You know, they gave, they would put aside money. Paul was talking to them on the first day. Um, again, so there's there's evidence to show that they worship on Sunday. Not only that, again, we got to remember, Paul was commissioned to go preach to the Gentiles, right? You know, he, he and, was going. And you, quoted, and you quoted Romans 14, which, you know, suggests that, you know, whatever day you gather together on is sacred. It don't, it don't matter. If you, yeah. if you gather together on that day. And so if you look at the Acts Church, they gathered together every day. Um, so every day they met in the temple and then they broke bread from house to house. The key to Acts chapter 20 and verse 7 was that, or verse 8, was that they broke bread. And so they only broke bread when they came together as the, as the body or as the church. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So there there it is. All right. Um, good question, uh, Mario. So uh, where was I at? Oh, I was talking about the comments, and we're running way longer than I want. Yeah, I, I, I like I like I like cutting edge. I like um, he he added another comment. He says those texts don't specifically command um, mm-hmm. that you, uh, that you worship on that day in honor of the resurrection, and that's the key: is that there is no commandment to uh, the people turning to Christ to worship on any day. You're supposed to be able to worship on every day and so they did a lot of things on the first day of the week so there is no command to worship on the sabbath or on a sunday or on a monday and so mm-hmm. traditionally they came together on that first day of the week um so yeah so i would i would agree um that there was no command to worship on the day in honor of the resurrection or to worship on a sabbath day if you were not a jew Mm, I wonder, is there a command in the Old Testament to worship on the Sabbath day? No, Sabbath day was, it was for rest. Be- yeah, that's what I was saying. I was wondering, yeah, I wonder if there's a command worship. for that. If you did anything on the Sabbath, you were breaking the Sabbath. And so anybody who worships on the Sabbath 
is actually breaking the Sabbath. If the, you know, if they believe in that. Yeah. So Mario says, what about the 10 commandments? Should we still keep them? Yes. They are explicitly carried over into the new Testament. The yeah. other 603, because there's 613 laws, right? And so the, the Ten Commandments are just the first 10, right? And so the only one out of that is the Sabbath because the Sabbath didn't carry over because the Sabbath wasn't about a day. It was about Jesus, us finding our rest in Christ. Yeah. So, yeah, that, so, so for me, that's a, that's a whole different different show and a different topic so right. what, what I will say is this I will say most if not all of the Ten Commandments Jesus did reteach yeah. so I would say we, we are to follow the commandments that Jesus taught so if Jesus taught on it we're to reteach them um, I will also say in reference because a lot of do, a lot of people do say well if we follow if we follow all of the if we follow all the Ten Commandments and not the Sabbath then why that one but it, it specifically speaks about how that was a foreshadow of Christ coming and so in Christ we get our rest um, and then I can't remember the scripture see this is where I, I, I do bad on scripture but there I, I think it's Galatians or maybe Corinthians but it says um if you are going to follow the law, then you follow all of it. And if you broke one of them, then like then you then you're guilty of, of, of breaking all of them. And so so the so the uh, and then it talks about how the law was our uh, like our tutor, right? And now that we're under the new covenant, we no longer need that tutor. The law was there to show us that we can't that we can't keep them. Um, so so again, um, <clears throat> we don't keep the Ten Commandments for salvation. I'll say that we get our salvation through Jesus Christ who fulfilled the Ten Commandments. Cause if that's the case, then we, we're all doomed. Right. Which is why we need a savior. So that's kind of what that, that's kind of where my answer will be on that. I would have to uh, <clears throat> do it. I feel like I did a show on that, but I could be wrong. But anyway, <clears throat> all right. So some of the comments, uh, are you welcome on uh, Mario? All right. So yeah, appreciate it. So uh, basically, this person said they left the church because of uh, research in Acts seventeen eleven, and and I'm not gonna read this whole thing, but basically, um, that's where they talk about the Bereans uh, being commended for uh, searching the word, and in their church, they're condemned for going out and doing study and on their own, and and so again, further proving that they're going off some type of script there. Um, this person said this church messed me up. I finally got the strength to research it. At first, see that's the funny thing about it. They're a part of it and not even researching it and knowing it. Right. Matter of fact, some of the people were saying how they never even heard of Ong Song Hong until they got baptized. Yeah, and they got baptized yep. in his name. At first, I would have to. He said I would have bad dreams, but this group is horrible. I'm so happy to now. I'm so happy to look now. I know I was really brainwashed. It hurts me so bad. So we'll keep going. This person, I visited here. And completed their Bible study with my sister. And goodness, if I wasn't so well versed in the Bible and had a strong family, I could see myself falling for this place. They are very sneaky and super sweet. The members yep, yep. genuinely believe they are doing, um, believe what they are doing. But she said, I saw right through all of it still. I mean, so these are, you know, some of the things. This person said, so my ex and I visited one of these churches. 
They kept us in a room and went over the Bible. I asked to use the restroom. The woman came with me. When I came out, she was standing <laughs> dead in front of me. I had texted my ex and told him we need to leave. So he was already in the hall waiting for me. I told him we're leaving now, and they followed us to the front door. As soon as we got in the car, I told them what they were saying is, uh, I told them none of what they were saying was full of full truth. I told him it's a cult or whatever. My gut feeling, that, you know, so then she started Googling and researching it. Um, this person commented on an interview says the, the this person said the most remarkable takeaway from the video that I pulled this from is uh, how her experience make it clear the only way memberships of this uh, church uh, work out is if the member is willing to completely surrender their personal autonomy and be used uh, as a commodity by the church and serve their benefits. They wanted to marry Heather off to strangers, so that's another thing they do. They do arranged marriages in there as well. Oh, wow. Um, um, because the appearance of single mothers disturbs their shallow perception of perfection. And so she kind of go into that and then quotes uh, Matthew 23, um, what is that, 23, 27? Let's see what else. So, um, this, I, I pulled these up to show where they're active at, right? It says um, they're active on the campus. Um, she said she's been approached two to three times. The first time I never heard, but definitely had creepy vibes and learning about it. More, I quickly found out why. Um, they almost got me when I was a student at UNLV. If you mm. know anybody who go there, that's what they're out there. Um, she said, I swear this is the group that forcefully baptized a few students. I think you talked about, yep. about yep. that at my university. At the time, there were girls who were going in pairs trying to tell people about God and Mother all over campus. It was hard finding info about them at the time. You know, she said, I just had good Bible knowledge. Um, that's what helped her out. Um, this lady, I'm not gonna read that long, but basically she was in contact with somebody in this Bible study, and then she saw that she saw the videos. Um, this guy's giving a warning that they're going online, they're doing Zoom classes. A person replied back and was like, "Yeah, I was in it for like three weeks," you know. So again, I'm just showing this for you all to be be on guard, be on guard. They're out there. Um, this one. Uh, they're in Texas, obviously, because that's where they got me at. Um, in Arizona, um, at the uh, Glendale Community College, they're recruiting there. Um, I think another person said they were at ASU, and they recruited them there. So, again, if you got anybody who's going to college, you want to warn them about it beforehand because once they go there, they ain't gonna, they're they not trying to hear nothing you say. They train them to say that, hey, your family, your loved ones, they're lost. And they're gonna, they, and they they say they're gonna try to um, tell you it's wrong. They're gonna try to tell you the code. They're gonna try to do this. And so when you come in at them and try to save them, you're actually validating what they're teaching them. And so that's kind of how they get them. Um, the guy whose daughter was lost, she was like, "Yeah, they told me you was gonna say that, and they told me you was gonna do this." <laughs> and so I'm, I'm, I want to warn you all to, I want to warn you all so you can tell them beforehand. Let them know, arm them beforehand. I, I'm definitely going to be having conversations with my uh, daughter um, who, who just actually checked into college a couple, uh, I think Friday. Um, and I'm not going to read the long one, but, you know, y'all can kind of see it here. But the, the, the bottom line is we only scratched the surface of what this group do and what they believe. Um, the comments kind of shed a little bit more light. But I really do appreciate everybody for uh, rocking with us. 
Um, I truly appreciate each and every one of y'all. I appreciate the uh, interaction. Um, don't forget to like. Don't forget to share. Um, after the show, if you want to hop back in and just leave a comment, that helps with the algorithm. Um, that's the best way to help help the ministry out, you know, help us out is by sharing it with somebody, leaving comments, liking it, and the algorithm will uh, keep showing it. Um, but, but at the end of the day, the biggest takeaway, guys, is you got to know God. You got to know your Bible. Um, even even as much as I studied when I was hit with it, the fact that I, I didn't know scriptures verbatim, it was a, a handicap to me, you know. Um, it, it really was. Um, but I encourage you to, um, you know, attend a Bible teaching church. Be like the Bereans in Acts, right? Uh, when somebody says something, um, check it. Read up on it. Confirm it, you know. Um and I ask y'all to just keep coming back, rock with me. Anthony, you got any closing thoughts? No, man. I just enjoyed it tonight. Thanks, you know, for all you guys commenting both on on uh, on my stream and on on Rico's. Just giving a shout out to Epic, um, Orang, Amber, um, the different ones that jumped on, and, and your comments kind of helped us um, move this conversation along. It definitely is like you like you said. It's about fellowship and it's about having good conversation. You know, even uh, my guy here from Cutting Edge uh, TV uh, really enjoyed your questions. Um, and you know, if you ever want to go any deeper, you know, Rico can get you in touch with me. So really enjoy coming on the stream, talking about these to- uh, subjects, and maybe we have to do something, you know, around the Sabbath or something like that if you haven't already done one. So yeah, yeah. So so uh, Mario. Um, from my cutting ass TV, he used to be a host with me. Um, um, so, I, but Mario, you got to remind me. I feel like we did talk about the Sabbath because Mar- Mario observes the Sabbath, and he, he, you know, he's a, he's actually a preacher. Um, he believes that we should observe the Sabbath, um, and, and he know we we kind of we disagree on that. Um, but he's you know he's still a brother to me. Um, he's still yeah. a brother in yeah. Christ, and but uh, I. I think we already did a show on the Sabbath, or we were going to do one on the Sabbath. I just can't, you know, my memory is bad. So I really need to get it checked. I, I was telling my wife I'm really concerned if me being in Iraq or smelling some of that stuff, like I don't know what my, but my memory is really bad. Uh, my wife had to, my wife would know. She would know if I did a show on the Sabbath before I would. Uh, but, but yeah, but I think we did. But if not, then we can do it. Um, I, I believe Again, Romans fourteen five, um, to me, um, he said we tested, but we uh, but never dug deep on it. All right, well, I mean, hey, so the, uh, Anthony put it out there. We, we can we can do it. You know, I'm I'm more than happy, and we can do it on the, in any one of our platforms. We can do it because uh, uh, Mario has a uh, YouTube channel as well, Cutting Edge TV. So I'm I'm open to have it. But to me, I, I, again, my biggest thing is I feel like Paul talked. The opposite. So, it, so a Paul is teaching the wrong thing, or you know, or or there's some kind of context we're missing. Like I just, I, I really like Romans 14 is a, a perfect example of Paul teaching the opposite, right? So, um, I, I don't know, but I do lean on this um, because Paul taught this. If you worship on the Sabbath, 
then there's nothing wrong with that, right? If there, like if you choose Saturday to be your day to worship, then you do, as long as you're doing it unto the Lord, not a false Jesus, not a false, like a mother right. God or something like that, right. then cool, Right. Right. But but what I where I disagree with a a lot of people who do observe the Sabbath is that I'm in error for not observing the the Sabbath. Oh, no. no, Let me say it this way. I'm in error for not worshiping on the Sabbath. Worshiping on the Sabbath. Now, I will say this. I do want to do more research on should I be doing anything on the Sabbath uh, now. And, And where I land currently is that Jesus like it was a foreshadow of Jesus. And now that I'm in Christ, Christ is my rest. I have eternal rest through Christ. Um, so, so that's something where I kind of stand, but far as worshiping on Sunday, I don't think I'm in error or going to hell because I worship on Sunday and I go to Bible study on Wednesday and, and, you know, and I do this on Sunday, you know, I don't, I don't feel I'm in error in that. So that's just kind of where I stand. All right. Um, yeah. Amen. Sabbath made for man, not man for the Sabbath. All right, well, that's the show, guys. Hey, don't forget to hit the like button. Don't forget to share. Invite somebody to the show. I, I really enjoy you all rocking with me. We go a very long time, and we got people that uh, um, we got, oh, sometimes my Sabbath's on a weekday. That's another valid point, too. You know, some people are in the position where they have to take care of their family, and that requires them to work on Saturday, so they take their Sabbath on a weekday. Anyway. Till next time, y'all. Be a blessing. Share your testimony. Peace. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Amen.